This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Cole and Terry. Jeff is out on... Uh, not sick sickbatical. He's just out on batical. He's on, he's on assignment. He's on assignment. We have assigned. <laughs> he's out. Uh, he's out. I think uh, you know, riding the plane, the plains of America. Really, that's what they told me. All right. Hey, uh, what? Wow. Day three, starting day three of the Is shutdown. It though? Yeah, two I mean, days, nine hours. Yeah, it's the do, if you're tracking it on does CNN. Does the weekend count? Yes. The vast majority of the government takes Saturday and Sunday. You tell that to the one guy that has to sit there and watch for nuclear weapons coming into the country. Right. That guy's like, hey, what about me? But the vast majority. Today is the day where it really sets in. You only need one. You only need one. There the, were certain they de- can't even answer phones at the White House anymore because right. they just they don't have the people to staff it. Now. There were certain uh, departments actually Friday were told to come in on Monday as if it was a normal day, act normal, just come on in, don't worry about it. And they're like, wait, the government's going to be shut down. They go, we don't know that. And they go, but what yeah. if it does? And so it was confusing. So we'll see what happens. To me, it just shows you that uh, we just we can't get anything done in this country. Well, but, we're not shut down. Yeah, we're here. Nah, we're, we're here. We've been shut down for years. Did you guys not? Did you not get the memo? Jeff didn't. Jeff thought the government shutdown meant he didn't have to come in today. He's like, I'm out of here. That's sweet. Make it a long weekend. So that is uh, that's a big deal. And now, and I think honestly, it'll be egg on the face of both parties and the president. Yeah. They all look bad now. Everyone's pointing, but yeah, yeah, it's bad. It's the Democrats obviously don't want the chip program to go forward. These poor children that need insurance. No, the Democrats aren't going to give it. The Republicans don't care about immigration. By the way, two things that maybe didn't need to be in the spending bill in the first place. Why don't we just get government working? Ah, so, you know, Joe Cannon will be joining us later to help us understand what's really going on with the shutdown. But it is apparently two days, nine hours, eight minutes, and 39 seconds we've been in the shutdown. You're on CNN, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They are the kings of the countdown clocks. Well, who? Well, and the Fox News is the king of the um, debt clocks. Oh, okay. Nobody does a debt clock better than nice. Fox News. Yeah. Everybody's got a countdown clock somewhere. Uh, but uh, that's supposedly the big news. Um, I guess today, sometime today, they'll be trying to pass a bill. Noon Eastern. By noon Eastern. There will be a Senate vote today at noon Eastern. Uh, McConnell and Schumer, they're continuing to negotiate. Yeah. There's been all kinds of meals that were, someone had pizza and then there was chicken and I remember on uh, oh they can afford to eat because Friday they afternoon get paid. Schumer had a hamburger in Trump's study with oh, he had, wow. him and Trump had cheeseburgers oh and that's cool that deal fell apart ah. before he, after he left the White yeah. House yeah he apparently uh, the talk from the Democratic side is that they actually gave him twenty million dollars twenty billion dollars to build a wall that's what they said but then it was somehow rejected something. And so the Democrats are saying that they've given Trump two deals that he's 
he said, okay, yes, this is the and deal. And a cheeseburger. Then they come back with the, uh, some sort of a, a deal based on what he said he wanted previously, and then by then he yeah. changed his mind. Boy. But does he get fries with that $22 billion? I, it's key to I, don't, the I don't know if he eats fries, does he? I've never really heard about the fries. It's more just about the sandwich. And the filet of fish, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but he knows what he likes. That's what's great. Uh, so, you know, that's – I guess that's – we'll see. We'll see what happens. Today is just uh, – the the deal that will go down at noon is just kind of, uh, you know, process-oriented that – It's going to be for show because it's not – I don't think it's going to be solved that fast. They better hurry. Yeah. People are going to start taking, you know – I found this interesting. On Sunday, during the uh, shutdown trip to the Middle East, Vice President Mike Pence, he's over in the Middle East, he talked about, and he talked to some troops, and he gave a speech saying that you're not, no one's getting paid. I'm sorry, government should do better yeah. for you. Now, actually, if it goes past February 1st, no one's th- getting paid. then they start, the military starts running into some issues on getting paid. But uh, during the 2013 shutdown, they passed a, a continuing resolution to pay the military. Yeah, maybe that could be done today. Claire McCaskill, a Democrat senator, came forward yesterday and said, we need to do this for our troops. We need to make sure this happens. Yeah. And it was reported on CBS's uh, Face the Nation that it was shut down, or that uh, what Mick Mulvaney who uh, runs? He's the House White House Budget Director. Yeah, he says the White House is for this. We want to pay the troops. So let's do this. They did it last time. It was shut down by Mitch McConnell. Oh yeah. See, but it's all it's all it's all they're, they're just trying to tighten the noose on each other. Yeah, it's just it's game back and forth. They're yeah. doing these things for shows so they can run out in front of the media. It's the same thing that happened during the initial uh, Affordable Care Act. Right. Uh, deliberations they were having way back when because they were – you go into a committee and then someone would do something specifically to blow up the other side and uh. run outside. They're not negotiating in good faith and that's what you're going to hear for the next couple of days. This is this is crazy. Yeah. But, um, you know, what do you do? In, in the end, they better hurry because the Dems numbers are dropping. The White House is supposed to be the greatest negotiator of all time. If he can't get a deal quickly – right then he's maybe not as great of a negotiator. Hmm. I mean, he's he, that's why he came here, right? It's Drain all about the swamp. It's about his brand and, it's, and he's hurting his brand. The best deals possible and boy, we'll see. I I guess the news that many are talking about is it's going to be the Patriots and the Eagles in the in the uh, Super Bowl. Yeah. Patriots won a close one. Mm-hmm. By the way, led by uh, They were down by 10 in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And they were able to come back and win by what well, they scored fourteen in the fourth to, to win it. So. I mean, that, by a really old quarterback. Yeah, with a messed up hand apparently. With a messed up hand, Tom Brady. That's what you kept hearing about. Did you see the X-ray? No. They, they X-rayed didn't, Tom's hand. Did, didn't really care. Saw it as a smoke screen as it was. No, you got to see it because yeah, it the matter. X-ray has he has five rings on his hand. Yeah, no, it's just, it's it amazing. Matter. It just doesn't matter. It's amazing. And uh, the Eagles, that was quite a blowout. Yeah. I mean, I didn't watch the game because. And again, not because I'm, you know, righteous. I I saw a little bit. I had other things to do. You know, the child wanted like yeah. parental oversight, so I gave him some. And then uh, you came, hold on, you you gave him some yeah, he parental wanted, oversight. He wanted to play, so we played. Did you give him enough though that it mattered? Oh yeah, good. He's That's still good. talking about it. It was life changing. By the time wow. I came back, it was you know, I just turned it off. It was a route. Like, it, yeah, I don't want to watch. This. I bet you did something with Marvel comics. Well, I mean, there is a certain uh, DC video game oh, okay. involving Legos. 
Okay, so you played and, a video game. And uh, so. we uh, unlocked 20-something characters yesterday. Wow, that was a good day. Yeah, it was crazy. He's like going nuts. He's like, Dad, who's your favorite new character? I like this guy. La, 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 la. Oh, I'm like, oh, yeah, that. yeah, that's great. Bonding so, time. That's great. Bond- <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Well, um, there's a Super Bowl coming up, and, you know, I bet it'll be close again. Yeah. And... Tom Brady will have and a sixth Tom ring Brady for his other hand. He'll win a sixth ring. They're already favored by like a touchdown. I know, but what, wasn't Minnesota favored? Um, by three points they yeah. were. Were they really? They and they exactly lost, get to the spread. But, and they lost by what, 20-something? Yeah. 31. They got, ah! they got the home field field goal, which is default. Yeah. You just give it to the guy. So. Well. And they got – I mean, the Vikings did get in but there. But Tom Brady gets his Tom Brady touchdown spread also. And there, if there's a conspiracy out there now, the referees looked really happy when the Patriots scored their go-ahead touchdown. There's lots of smiles they on the refs' faces. They were One penalty called all day right. against the New England Patriots. Yeah. And it was on a special teams kind of useless Holy cow. That, this, is, this is controversial. It's conspiratorial. It's not really conspiratorial. It's, I, it's the, the oh, majority it's of fans hate the Patriots. Hate the Patriots yeah. So everything is bad. And the Patriots fans say bring it on because they think it's funny. Well, but then now you've got the Eagles fans involved that are like, they're pretty tough fans. Yeah, there was a fight apparently in the parking lot. If you saw photos of that before the game where Eagles and Vikings fans and people Ooh. were bloodied and it was just kind of a mess. Well, who wins the fight, an Eagle or a Viking? I think we all lose as a people. Yeah, it's like yeah. the shutdown. It's just government. a mess. Yeah. Crazy. Well, let's get to the headlines, Terry. What else should we be paying attention to? So a new political morning consult poll conducted Thursday and Friday found that more voters would blame Republicans in Congress for the government shutdown, 41%, than would blame Democrats, 36%. Democrat and Republican voters, by wide margins, held the other side responsible. But more independents say they would blame Republicans, 34, than Democrats, 27. Except the big problem, too, is the spread for the Democrats has been dropping, right? Yes. So Democrats are losing ground in the states they need to win. So it says the shutdown is no clean political win for the Democrats. Americans don't necessarily approve of the party's strategy to insist on legislative solution for undocumented immigrants brought here as children before voting to reopen the government. In fact, both parties' immigration stances, Democrats' efforts to protect the so-called dreamers, and Trump's insistence on funding a border wall are viewed by voters as less important than actually opening the government. Yes. So open the government. Why, why don't they pass a bill that says, okay, we will take care of DACA by February 15th, right. or we shut down the government February. But we open it back up, we've got till the 15th, and we'll shut it down on the 16th if we can't come up with a DACA deal. Why don't they respect the fact that the government needs to be open and separate these other things from yeah. shutting yeah. down the government? Point, why don't we that say we'll work. shut down the government every other week until yeah. something happens? Well, that's the <laughs> part stuff. of the draining of the swamp. Is um, that what it is? That's what they're doing. See, once you shut it down, then you can. Then the water levels go down, and then you can clean it out. Uh, Vice President Pence arrived in Israel late Sunday night. This morning, he's already met with leadership there. They're praising him for moving the embassy and how wonderful it is for their country yeah. to have this identity back. And over the weekend on Sunday, leaders of Jordan and Egypt, who publicly scolded President Trump's, uh, uh, scolded. Mike Pence for President Trump's decision to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Jordan's King Abdullah gave Pence a candid and frank talk about the U.S. decision, warning it would likely exacerbate frustrations in the region. Jerusalem is key to Muslims and Christians. It is Muslims and Christians as it is to Jews, he Hmm. told Pence. He made no apologies for what he described as Trump's historic policy change. 
Wow. So he gets one message from these countries, goes to Israel. Everyone loves Mike Pence because, you know, they moved yeah. to the embassy. So. Wow. I hear, I hear, That's continuing. But it's interesting. I hear the Christians in Israel aren't as happy with it, which, might, is, which they, is strange because yeah. you'd think they'd be way happy. Yeah. But apparently it seems so pro-Israel that it's not good for Christians there. Huh. There's a little backlash. Like 13 of the Christian church leaders are like, whoa. They probably see it's causing more problems than it's helping. Yeah. So. Okay. Facebook announced Monday that social media may not be entirely good for democracy, but it said it's working to prevent interference in elections by outside actors from Russia and others. I wish I could guarantee that the positives are destined to outweigh the negatives. This from Facebook's product manager for civic engagement. It says adding that the company has a moral duty to understand how these technologies are being used and what can be done to make communities like Facebook as representative, civil, and trustworthy as possible. Well, which means, I don't know, turn it off. Yeah, but I mean, represent it. Yeah, it. They're also saying they're going to uh, figure out what is newsworthy on Facebook. Yeah, they're going to have a little rating, a crowdsourced voting system. We're going to let the people decide what's news and what isn't news. Oh, that's smart. How do you think that's going to go? Yeah. Not so great. We couldn't do it on our own before. Now we're all going to get together and vote on it. Well, so if I'm a betting man, it'll all be 50-50. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's how we vote for for things here. It's all for show. Uh, Delta Airlines tightening the requirements for passengers traveling with onboard service and emotional support animals, the carrier said Friday, following a sharp uptick in pet-related safety issues in recent years. Effective March 1st, Delta, the second largest U.S. airline by passenger traffic, said it would require passengers seeking to fly with pets to present additional documents outlining the passenger's need for the animal and proof of its training and vaccinations 48 hours prior to the flight. Wow. So we've seen like what comfort turkeys and yeah. kangaroos and lizards yeah. comfort, and all. goat. Apparently, there's websites where you can just go print out a document, you show it at the gate, and they just let you on because there's no got, standard for what yeah. is a legitimate document and what isn't. So they just yeah, sure go ahead. I mean, I guess any animal could be a comfort animal, but it needs <laughs> a comfort me. horse. Excuse me, we gotta we gotta squeeze it. You here. just can't let it on the plane though if it isn't trained to be around people and to be calm. They're having problem with pet accidents on the plane, yeah. which is really discomforting to everyone trying uh, to totally. travel. It's kind of yeah. gross. At what point is your comfort animal There's biting going not on? so comfortable for me? <laughs> so they're trying to regulate in the sense, so let's have a standard and figure That's, out how this works. That seems commonsensical. Yeah. Don't you think? The comfort penguin was one step too far. Yeah. But a penguin, I'd rather have a penguin than right. like, seriously, than they're a kinda, porcupine. They're kind of jerks though. Are they? The emperor penguins. They're well, kind of yeah. like. Uh, they're so haughty. Yeah. Self-absorbed there. Mm-hmm. And uh, the White House, as at present, according to a person familiar with the matter, indicated to NBC News that President Trump will not take part in a recent Super Bowl ritual, a pregame interview between the commander in chief and the news unit of the network hosting the game. Oh, really? I think this is a great uh, advancement for the entire production process of that event because why do we need to hear from the president? They've been doing this, I think George W. Bush may have done one of the interviews. I know Obama did several. Yeah. It's like, why? Well, because it, it, it's, it's the weird. biggest audience ever, and oh, sure. usually these, usually the politician wants to be a part of that. You'd think Trump just, would want those it, ratings. It just makes for an awkward transition to go, 
talk about some serious issues, and now let's play some football. It just doesn't make any sense. Are you ready for some football? Because <laughs> you kick to the NFL yeah. studio team, and those guys are just, you well, know. You go from, yeah, Hillary, lock her up. Right. Lock her up. And just, then let's play ball. That's weird. It's not a day for politics on any level. Just leave it alone. Yeah. Just make some more commercials. Well, or... that's nice of him. It sounds like he's thinking about us. No, it sounds like he doesn't want to do it anymore. Is that what it is? He might think it's pointless, which it kind of is. Well, yeah, it is. Because then then you hop on, like I do, Twitter, and you're reading, and then there's everyone fighting about what was said, and then all of a sudden it's like, football, and everyone's happy. Yeah. Oh, no, they fight about that, too. Well, no, because this year everyone's <laughs> going to hate on the Patriots, right? That's so there'll true. be like a unified message. The country will be unified against Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. Wow, that doesn't seem good for the game. It'll be good for, well, New England, because they'll win again. Right. One for the thumb, the other thumb. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is a point where it's just not fun to watch Tom Brady keep winning. That's kind of where I'm at, where I'm like, oh, they're going to do this again? The Boston Globe, and remember, this is in Boston, had a really great article about how they're embracing being the evil empire huh? of football. Really? Taking on the Yankee mm-hmm. mantra. The persona of that. Coming from Boston. When they hate the Yankees, Where too. they yeah, hate they the Yankees. So they, they, they like the, the game. John Malkovich did a uh, pregame... Like teaser for that game yesterday, really, and he just talks about how it, like it, the ultimate villain, yeah. Malkovich, and he comes down and he's like yelling at the director, like, "What are we doing? Why are we? What is a teaser, anyways? Why am I involved? Why do we have an orchestra? This is football. <laughs> People need something simple." And he starts describing it, very emotional, yeah, right, very like well done. He's and the the music builds as he's doing this, and it basically comes down that there's. A machine in New England, and you can't stop it. Well, right. Everyone was terrified because Tom Brady's hand was hurt. Yeah, if he didn't play, that team isn't the same team. Okay, so the but, fact that Tom Brady's there is uh, why they win. It, it really is because they, they all they have to do is get close, and then give them five minutes. They had they were down ten in the fourth quarter. I looked at it. I go, yeah, they're going to win. Yeah, the, the right Eagles. There. I mean, not the Eagles, but the Jacksonville can't stop the them Jaguars for an entire quarter. It just you could see there's momentum building. Jaguars have no offense to go to, and they failed. But do you think uh, you think the Eagles won't fare any better? I have no idea. Hmm. It's just but they have a backup quarterback playing. They do, and he threw for 300 yards. He's doing okay. He looked pretty pretty good. Is that him, or is it the Vikings? Their defense wasn't. I don't know. That, but... I don't know. Apparently he ate him up. Boy, this is exciting. So, so far, seven-point favor for the Patriots for the Super Bowl, right? I was reading this morning, when it comes to those types of wagering, Las Vegas has lost once. Really? And that's when the New York Giants beat the Patriots when the Patriots were undefeated. That was the only time they came out on the backside of their own program. Oh, see, that's wager. the one because the Patriots. Even 10 years ago, enough people hated the Patriots that they went against their good intuition of yeah. knowing the Patriots would win, that they would bet on the team they wanted to win, and then the Giants just My. happened to there you go. win. Patriots, they're evil. Okay, so we've got in that a, in, a, in, in a fun sports kind of way. But I, I, right. I'm excited for the Eagles to win. Oh, they're your team. Yeah. Early pick. Don't mess with an eagle, ever. Right. 
I mean, what would you pick? If you had to pick a patriot hmm. or an eagle. Sounds really American. I love, I love America. I love yeah. the eagle. Yeah. It's about I mean, America. Especially here. like if one of the patriots has an injured hand. America first, if you will. Yeah. You're, that's, your, <laughs> that's your bank, right? That's, your, that's where you take your money. Okay. Straight ahead, Joe Cannon will be joining us to walk us through the shutdown, what's going on, what, uh, what we can do about it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Well, it's that time, folks. <sighs> Government shutdown. Uh, vice president out of the country into in Jerusalem, in Israel, somewhere over there. And uh, we need some insight. Who better to walk us through it than our own Washington insider? We call him Joe in the know. Joe is the uh, past chairman of the Utah Republican Party, currently a CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, an organization trying to lower fuel costs here in the United States. And we like to have him on every Monday to pick his brain and try to understand what is really going on politically. Joe, how are you today, my friend? Good. How are you doing? Excellent. Good to have you on. Good to hear your voice. Yeah, it's been a while. I know. What What do you think of this uh, government shutdown? Two hours, ten minutes, or two two days, nine hours, uh, without the government in action. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, there's an old joke that uh, how do we know that the government's been shut down? I mean, there are plenty of people who are thinking, right? Gee, did it did it really shut down? Um, and it's been a weekend, but um, you know shutdowns are not that uncommon. You know there have been you know a, a, more than a dozen, a couple of dozen, going back to Jerry Gerald Ford, hmm. including in Carter. Uh, when I worked in the Reagan administration for the first term, there were six shutdowns. Really, in that four years, yeah. And usually they were only a day or two, and they were all, you know all over budget matters. And they all came to reconciliation pretty fast, but yeah. So there, there are a lot of there have been a lot of government shutdowns. Is it is it common to do what's what they're doing, where the Democrats have kind of thrown a DACA bill? Uh, they want some DACA resolution in this spending bill. Uh, the Republicans have thrown in the child, the chip. Um, health care bill or six years extension on that. Is it normal to throw this much into it? Um, this and, seems a little bit different, honestly. Um, but the answer is, in all of these cases, it was some sort of ideological, philosophical debate, usually over how much to cut the military or not, um, some pet project or not. I mean, so there, there are, that's part of the history of this. This seems a little bit different because in, in, either, in each case on either side, there's a solution to that that doesn't have to involve shutting down the government. So th- there's a little bit more brinksmanship here. Mm. And I, I think even though there's no evidence that um, a government shutdown has a political consequence to it, uh, both sides sort of think there is this time. So the Democrats think that, and typically it is the case, that Republicans get blamed for the shutdown. It's not so unambiguous this time, like like um, you guys were talking about earlier. Uh, the 
people, the portion of the population willing to blame the Democrats for this one, it's still, you know, less than half, but it's significantly more than in prior shutdowns. So I think you're going to see a, a, a bigger, bigger motivation, given that this is a, um, an election year, to, to come together. And they, they're meeting in, in, you know, just a few hours. They're going to meet again to yeah. uh, see if they can resolve this. So, um, so in the end, it's because you do see that. Uh, you know, everybody's saying it's hurting the other side. The polls are saying the Republicans might be taking more heat for it. But other other polls are showing that the Democrats are also losing some of the, the lead they had in the elections that are coming up midterm and, and in some of those battleground states. So, um, you know, overall, I guess you're saying there's enough pressure on both sides. What about the president? I mean, he was a great negotiator, supposedly, right? He was going to come in and negotiate it. How do you see that he's doing at kind of uh, leading or negotiating these deals? Well, he gets a chunk of the blame himself uh, by by the uh, public. But I, you know, I think he thought he had a deal, actually. Yeah. And, uh, and it sort of petered out from under underneath him. And you've got so many different things going on. You've got a group of moderates on both sides, so-called moderates, Democrats and Republicans trying to make a deal, but that only alienated people on the edges of their party, you know, their respective parties. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot, um, a lot of blame to go, go around here, but I, I just can't believe they won't come together somehow this afternoon. Do you think, yeah, and and at least kick it down a week or two, and then get some DACA bill signed or going? Is that how this is going to have to go down? Could be. I mean, that's one of the big ideas is to to take um, uh, the majority leader McConnell's word that they'll deal with DACA later. Um, I don't know. I think I think there's still a fix in there that deals with DACA and the wall. That's that's where I, where I think they'll end up going. Uh, everyone will, you know, sort of bite their tongues and vote, you know, the opposite side for the opposite side on that. But I I, I don't have any inside knowledge on that. Yeah, um, you also it, there is some interesting talk coming from Senator Lindsey Graham, who seems to be one of the big straight shooters, and he talks about the fact that he thinks. President Trump's heart is really um, genuine in getting this deal done, but that he may have been misserved by some of his own staff. And he actually threw Miller, is it Steve Miller, under the bus? Stephen Miller and maybe even uh, General Kelly, the chief of staff, sort of intervened after he thought he had a deal done that said, no, that, that's going too far on immigration. That's, that's going away from your base. Hmm. on immigration and uh, so they say so yeah there's uh, plenty of blame to go around and, and of course Kelly I guess gave an interview actually I, I watched the interview uh, I'm not sure what show it was on but but on Fox saying that the president had evolved and had developed in his view on immigration and then you know, within 24 hours, the president just shy him down on that and said, no, I haven't evolved. So, yeah, but yeah, but inside the White House, there's a, there's a lot of feeling that inside the White House, that that uh, deal got scuttled by by Miller and maybe Kelly. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Well, and so that again, it, 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 what is that? Is that normal politics to have so much infighting in your own administration? Um, and tr- that seems a little bit more than average. Yeah. I, I will say that. I mean, within every White House and with every, every administration, there definitely are factions about either policy or just pure power. Mm. Uh, so, you know, there, there are all these factions. But this, you know, I think the president thought he had a deal and then he didn't. Uh, and uh, like I said, a lot of people blame his staff on that. Yeah. It's um, a couple things that we're also hearing about. I mean, this is the one year anniversary of President Trump. Um, by the way, I guess it shut down on day 365. Uh, right. Not great. Timing. Not great timing. But again, he tried. He thought he had something going on there. Um, how any any inf- any insight into the president's first year? Anything um, that that blows your mind? Anything that you want to talk about? Well, there there are a couple of things. I mean, we're still in parallel universe land. If you Google uh, Trump's first year you'll see a whole bunch of stories that, wow, it's horrible. America's worse than it's ever been. Uh, This is a nightmare. We've got to get rid of the guy. The guy's mentally unstable. And then you see others that, you know, like, you know, the Washington Examiner had a story, 61 accomplishments, major accomplishments, 81 major accomplishments in his first year. And it's just a a parallel universe. Having said that, I, I guess, there are some concrete things that really did happen. He, he, you know, he paid off his uh, base on the courts, and not just Neil Gorsuch at the Supreme Court, but numerous uh, uh, just judges at the district court and circuit court level, apparently far more than Obama did. Hmm. Uh, on regulatory reform, he's done a lot, but... but this is the thing that seems to be changing a little bit. Uh, his approval thing is the tax bill. So the tax bill was passed. It was very unpopular. But all of a sudden, uh, it's getting more popular. Yeah. And you look at the just today, maybe it was yesterday, but uh, the, the CNN poll comes out. All of his numbers are rebounded have yeah. rebounded from its lows, all of them. So his overall approval was up to 40%. Nothing to shout about, by the way, but that's up from 35% in one month. Right. The, well, uh, handling On the handling of the economy, up another five points. Uh, on um, approval on handling taxes, up, you know, another yeah. eight points. So it's... Um, you know, the numbers are moving in a good direction. This is politics as usual, it seems like. But it also seems like there's talk, more talk about giving President Trump the $20 billion to build the wall. I mean, supposedly that was something that came out with Schumer. And um, especially maybe there's going to be some, you know, something you, you give me DACA, I give you a wall. Uh, is... And you were talking before the break about President, the, President Trump's ratings uh, and, and polls going up. I mean, maybe what we're doing, too, is it, it's we're normalizing. I mean, he, there's there's a lot of successes that people can point to with President Trump. Um, some don't like to point to him. But maybe the people aren't as against him as it seems in the press. 
Well, you know, the press has been almost unanimously negative to him. They're, they are part of the resistance, and they, they're now even sort of saying they're part of the resistance. I, you know, it's, as the year goes by, and we didn't get into this thermonuclear war, we, the, the Middle East seems to be getting a little bit more normal, uh, taxes, tax reform was passed, all of a sudden he's looking less like this uh, insane, crazy person that he's portrayed by so many people. But just getting back to the numbers, those are still not great numbers for President Donald J. Trump. I think the numbers that are interestingly significant and why I think there will be a deal is in the space of, you know, a little over a week, the preference for who will run it, run Congress has been cut in half. So it was like nearly 15 percent, 12, 15 percent. Now it's around 7 percent. And in some polls, it was 5 percent. So all of a sudden you're saying uh, uh, maybe he's not such a liability. He, the president, is such a liability in these midterms that are coming up. I think that's having a sobering effect on the Democrats in Congress because they believe that there's a wave election coming, at least in the House. And there could be. There still could be. Right. But um, so that's just interesting. Well, and it's also interesting that since the shutdown, President Trump's been fairly quiet on the Twitter sphere. Again, we've said it a million times, but if he would kind of tone that down a bit, um, some of his biggest mistakes have come there. Maybe his ratings would be a little bit better if I mean, one thing he could know is he's being successful in a lot of ways. Maybe if he didn't have so many mistakes, just that just saying the wrong thing, saying the offensive thing. um, I mean, maybe that would go a lot farther. Well, I think even people who love him wish that he wouldn't do the tweets. Yeah. You know, it's just so, uh, in some ways it's just kind of embarrassing and that he, you know, (laughs) even people around him close to him say there's just no stopping this. Yeah. That's just how, that's who he is. That's how he is. Uh, Have you heard much about his executive time? And does that bother you at all? I mean, he, I guess much of his schedule is doesn't start till about noon he spends a lot of time up in his own quarters in the morning working from the oval office up there they call it the yellow oval room um which is where fdr worked also so i mean should anybody worry that boy he sure spends a lot of time out of the office yeah I- I think there have been all kinds of calculations on how much TV he watches and how he responds to TV. And that seems to be, at least in the morning, uh, when he does most of his tweeting, it seems to be yeah. in reaction to what he's watching on TV or hearing on the news. Um, does it matter? On the other hand, yeah. Well, the, the doctor who examined him just said, you know, he does, this is the doctor who was the doctor for Obama and Bush said he's just an incredibly hard worker. Hmm. Uh, it depends on what you think constitutes work. Um, but for sure, he's out of the Oval Office for a big chunk of the day. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, he's signed lots of bills. He's done, he does a lot. Uh, I mean, just e- even if you don't agree with all the people who love what he's done in the first year, there are dozens of things that he's actually done, some of which are pretty Pretty tough things. Yeah. So. What uh, 
What do you think about um, the Israel uh, president or Vice President Trump is now in Israel? And uh, we're, we're hearing a little bit more feedback, other issues going on. I mean, not everybody loves the idea that there is now been the official announcement that I guess next year they will be moving uh, the embassy to Jerusalem. Is I mean, is this a win? And is this a win internationally? And is, how, how does the rest of the world see that? Well, the world unanimously, virtually unanimously, opposed the deal in the United Nations and public by public comment, almost everybody um, opposed it. Uh, obviously, Israel thought it was a great idea. Lots of Trump's base thought it was a really good idea, but obviously the Middle East, I mean, uh, Abbas, the Palestinian leader, uh, said, okay, we're not even talking anymore. Um, you had uh, Jordan, who's you know one of our biggest allies over there, was, has been very negative on it. Uh, Egypt, I think, uh, Pence, Vice President Pence went to Egypt and got an earful there also. So in the Middle East, it uh, had it was negatively received. All of that being said, I'm not sure if this makes any difference in the Middle East peace talks. Yeah. Uh, the, the simple fact of the matter is the Palestinians don't want a Jewish state in any way, shape, or form. That's their, that's their position. They keep edging up the deals. They never get a deal. So uh, it, there, are, there are at least some people, a minority to be sure, but some, some observers uh, that know a lot more about international relations than I do say, well, you know, maybe this is important for Abbas and the Palestinians to understand that Jerusalem's just simply off the table. That's not going to be part of a peace negotiation even if it really is at the end of the day. Yeah. So yeah, it was universally negative. On the other hand, it's been law for, you know, 20 plus years, 20 since the Clinton years, maybe even earlier, that by statute, the president has been directed to designate Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and move the embassy there. Hmm. And in reality, and so I'm not, I'm not objective on this. I think I personally think it was the right thing to do just to say what's real. Countries get the chance to say what their capital is, except with what exception in the entire planet. And um, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. That's the fact. And, and uh, by recognizing that fact, uh, President Trump just simply implemented uh, U.S. law. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So uh, anything else, Joe, we should be paying attention to right now that maybe we haven't talked about, but it's on your radar? Yeah, I don't know. We've mentioned this sometime in the past, but Venezuela continues to deteriorate. It's just a human tragedy down there. And it's it's a clear example of what you get when you have uh, bad leaders. Uh, People are suffering. They're starving. They're rioting. It's just a very depressing situation uh, for what used to be one of the great countries in Latin America. So I think that's something to, hmm. you know, to look at. And oil-rich, a strong country, potentially. It just, I guess, leaders, it does matter well, what the leader does. Yeah, well, it is oil-rich, but that's one of their problems. Is, and it's actually affecting oil prices around the world. Hmm. They're shipping less and less and less oil, like every week. And so it's a, you know, it's a, it's a big issue. Yeah. 
Um, and then that drives up that's cost. A, that, that's their that's their that's their primary source of real currency. Man, it is interesting that a leader could uh, wouldn't be taking more advantage of that. Well, Joseph, we appreciate you. Joe Cannon's his name, and uh, we love having him on the show every week to give us some insight into what's going on politically in the world and uh, back in D.C. Um, again, <laughs> he tries to read the tea leaves when it comes to the president, and I think he does a great job. You can find out more about Joe by going to his website, fuelfreedom.org, and see what he's doing to lower your fuel costs here in the United States. We'll continue the journey, folks, straight ahead. More on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. You know, we always talk about um, uh, Putin um, as the, 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 the great strong man that he is. He usually is doing some activity where he takes his shirt off. Wrestling bears. Wrestling a bear. Um, just riding horseback on a, you know, with his bear back. It's interesting. So uh, President Putin... Um, did uh, was play did a part of an activity where they they go dip themselves in freezing cold water. It's a religious ritual that takes place in Russia. I guess even uh, commemorating um, uh, of the baptism of of Christ. I, I I guess I don't know all of about the ritual, but they do this dip. It's called. It's for the Orthodox tradition of Epiphany holiday, and. Um, President Putin did it and, you know, didn't wince jumping into 20 below water. And so our ambassador, John Huntsman from the United States, also a fellow Utah, he decided to go take a dip as well. He also jumped in to uh, this freezing water and represented the country beautifully. I mean, it's a it's it's one thing. The things you do for your country, quite honestly, um, but I couldn't handle it. You always see all these people jumping in the water, you know, trying to but I would never do that. It's just too cold. That's and that's the only reason. It's not cuz maybe you can't swim or no, maybe I can you... swim. And he was just hanging onto a wood platform. Oh, okay. But my problem would be I could get in the water no problem. But there is a point where your muscles seize up and I'm the guy yeah. that would just like probably you know, like a fainting goat pass out and then just go float downstream. Our hero story today is a guy that jumped in the Hudson River in New York to save somebody. Wow. And he said within just a few seconds he could start feeling his arms and legs not yeah. working the way they should. So I'm not No. I mean this is this is a feat of um, mental like strength. I mean your yeah. physical your body could probably deal with it. mentally you're 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 fighting every <laughs> inclination to not I mean he's out there what was it 20 20 below, 20 23 below. below, apparently. But yeah. the funny thing is, too, you're, you, it's one thing to do it, too, with no cameras rolling. But once they're rolling cameras and you gotta, you're in your swim trunks, first got to flex. So, mm, right, you got to make your abs pop. Yeah. you got to put on a show a little bit. Yeah. So that's, you're, already, you're already not breathing right because you're trying to keep your abs <laughs> popped. <laughs> then you jump in and you know you got cameras rolling and I would just be screaming. It's cold. I, I'm not sure that would help the country. No. It would look like, hmm. Ah, uh, see? I mean, it's it's a big risk. This is what America sends us? Ah! He's just <laughs> screaming. Oh, and the video. And you know Putin would love to show some video of 
uh, Ambassador Huntsman just hyperventilating. Yeah. Right. Because Putin didn't – Putin, by the way, let me – not to brag. Hmm. Putin only went down underwater, I think, once. And his head didn't even go underwater. But Ambassador Huntsman went under three times. Wow. So he's maybe very well – maybe three times the man. That, that's how math works. I mean, if you just look at the data, <laughs> three times the man. And he got out and his wife, uh, Karen Huntsman, was watching over him holding a towel hmm. and a fur coat. Well – you got to have the fur. When in Rome. Yeah, or Russia. Or Russia, whichever, yeah. yeah. When in Russia, do with the Russians. <laughs> so, again, be grateful that, uh, A, you're not an ambassador. And you, you know these customs. You've got to take – you've got to go into all of the customs wherever you go. Hmm. So Russia's got to have some pretty interesting ones. You've got to be an ambassador to a warm country, and then you don't have to worry about that. Well, no, but then you're going to do something else like, hey, you want to eat a scorpion? <laughs> Rather eat a scorpion than jump in cold water. Would you really? I'd – Yes. Yeah, I really would. Yeah. I don't know. I made you the cold water. Well, I would do the cold water. I just wouldn't have cameras around. That's mm. what I would do. You just say that you put out a press release. Mm-hmm. This is what I did. Maybe you have a photograph. Yeah, I might even like fake it, like go do it in a warm hot spring mm. and then just jump in like manly and just jump out of it. Like just like a dolphin. Okay. You know. Beaching itself. Beaching yes. itself. <laughs> At a SeaWorld exhibit. That's what I would do. Wow. And then I just have him replace the video. And they man, man, that guy. So athletic. It's so cold. It was steaming. That's what I would do. It's just one way to fake it. Fake it till you make it. That's what they keep saying. Ah, helping you be the good in the world, folks. That's the goal of the show. We will continue the journey next hour. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt and Dr. Matt here along with Cole and Terry. The gang is gathered. Jeff is out on, uh, on assignment. That's what we're calling it? That's what We've we're calling officially it. officially deemed it an official... Matt Townsend assignment in the field. No, it's. I think he self-assigned it and uh, just didn't show up. Oh, okay. But we knew he wouldn't show up, so it's not like it took us by surprise. Surprise assignment. But it's not. He's not sick anymore, which is good. Yes. And I keep dodging the flu. Man, I keep hearing more and more uh, deaths, children dying of this flu. This flu is out there. Be careful, folks. Don't risk it. Don't push it. It's the last thing we need. We can also talk about the day three of the shutdown. If you are keeping score, it's day two, 10 hours into it, seven minutes and seven seconds. 10 hours. So technically it shut. Oh, because Eastern Standard Time, it yeah. shut down at midnight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the shutdown is underway. Um, today also is the day you find out if you are an essential employee of the government or a non-essential and uh, that started an incredible discussion last week about this our very own show who are the essentials because and what we found out really the most essential person for the Matt Townsend show is Cole yes right because uh without Cole the the show's not going out on the air mhm so we can do the Matt Townsend show without Matt Townsend absolutely we've done that before and then the second most essential person we found out was Terry because then Terry puts together the show 
So Terry and Cole are the essentials, and I am a non-essential. So in the event that we have a shutdown, I will just stay home, and you two would need to carry the show. All right, great. Now that we've got that established? Yeah. Um, so much else we could be talking about, uh, including, obviously, the flu virus, including who's going to be most blamed for the shutdown. It just depends where you go for your sources and for your information. Fox News would say the Dems are to blame. CNN might, I guess, be saying Republicans are to blame. In the end, many are saying the president is to blame. Including a 2013 interview that keeps showing, if you look on social media or whatever, there's these videos that keep playing of President Trump then blaming just citizen Trump (laughs) blaming President Obama saying, well, he's the guy in charge. Yeah. When there's a shutdown, it all goes back to the guy in charge, and that's the president. Uh, why did he do that interview? Yeah. Blasted! Well, uh, some of the things I heard over the weekend was that when uh, Joe Cannon we had last hour kind yeah. of alluded to this, was it's kind of inconclusive as to what the effect of a shutdown does on the popularity rating or electability of a specific party. Like, is, does that carry over till November? Yeah. Um, and what they what they found is that it usually has a bump similar to one of these uh, party uh, conventions during an election oh, year. Yeah. We have a Democratic convention. They come out of the convention. There's like a two or three point bump, maybe a five point bump. Who, and then within a couple of weeks, it's gone. It's gone. So, right? so, so the, but the bump would, I guess, be because the GOP is in charge of the Senate. They're in charge of uh, they, they have all they basically have every leadership position in D.C. Right. So the the GOP would suffer a little bump. And it then would disappear. Would it disappear? It's inconclusive if that has mm-hmm. any effect. What they did find is that in 2013, the re- Republicans tried and lost. Yeah. And then that sort of buoyed them up for the elections yeah. coming up. And they, you know, made some big gains in that election, that upcoming election. Well, year, and so. this is a big deal because normally the Democrats would win, uh, have some some upswing in the midterm election. Yeah. But what if this changes the, the, the impact of that? What if it's not as big of an upswing? Right. What if the blue, what are they calling it? The blue wave is just really a blue... It was frothy. With some more purple. Mm. Kind of in the middle. Yeah. Some, but not as much as they were hoping. A purple wave. Well, we wish them all the best of luck. Today, sometime around noon, noon. Eastern, yep. which is right now. Uh, well, you know, in about it's, a couple hours. Yeah. Um, it's going to, they're going to solve it. Well, there will be a vote. Yeah. Will cooler heads prevail? I don't know if they've got enough out of this yet. Well, no, that, you still got to get your bases yeah. all riled up. Like, look, we're 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 defending DACA, and the Democrats yeah. are like, "Yeah, stand up right. for us." And Republicans are like, "We're not giving up on immigration." We, right, yeah, we're we defending gonna... the little the children and the chip program. And now they're they're saying that the Democrats don't want to protect the kids. Yeah, uh, the the Trump campaign yeah. put out a commercial over the weekend saying that Democrats are um, complicit with murder. Because oh, wow. of their stance on uh, border security. That was the ad that put out. Wow. And then that was like Saturday into Sunday. And then Sunday on some of the interview shows, Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House, he goes, I don't think that was helpful. <laughs> <laughs> you accuse the other party yeah. of essentially murder. Because of their choices that you're complicit in murder. Ugh. Not helpful yeah. for the discussion. 
Right. That was your response. It's like, plus, good job, Paul Ryan. Plus the White House uh, switchboard has a message yep. on it basically saying, we're not able to answer the phones because the Democrats are forcing some disconnected, disjointed policy that to be part of the spending plan. And because of that, they shut down government. And at the end it says, no, it doesn't, but it should say, have a happy day, because that's what all <laughs> those messages say. Interesting stuff. The flu, again, is now um, it's widespread in 49 states, all except Hawaii. Yep. Uh, 30 children have died because of this. The season total of laboratory-confirmed conf- uh, cases has the season total at about 74,500 people mm. that have contracted the flu. Mm. An additional 10 flu-related deaths have been reported during the week of January 13. That is just – so if you're a senior, a senior citizen, if, you, uh, you know, if you're not healthy anyway, if you're a child, uh, we need to be watching out for these people, folks. They, they might need special attention. So check in on your family, your neighbors, those that are around you. Let's, uh, let's make sure everybody's protected there. And let's get to the headlines now with Terry South. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina targeted White House policy advisor Stephen Miller as an unproductive force in the immigration fight that has been at the center of the government shutdown debate. As long as Stephen Miller is in charge of negotiating immigration, we are going nowhere, Graham said to reporters while wearing a very distinctive red hat that was not a Make America Great Again hat, but it looked kind of like, wow, you look kind of disheveled for a Sunday (laughs) afternoon, sir, that when Senator is in session. But, you know, it's like he had just been out shoveling his walks. Yeah, I was like, wow, they catch him mowing the lawn. Uh, Graham noticed that uh, President Trump's heart is on the right right issue, but that Miller's restrictive immigration views have never been in the mainstream in the Senate and has made him an outlier. Four years. Wasn't Miller a Bannon pick? He was actually a uh, assistant or staffer to Jeff Sessions. Ah. And so when Sessions, becomes, Sessions became the attorney general, then uh, Stephen Miller was able to get on with Bannon, and they had similar yeah. views. And, and he's been gaining power as others have been leaving the White House. Right. But maybe he you know, got in the way on this one. Yeah. Mm. And apparently most things. Okay. I've heard a lot of comments about how he's not helpful. Really? Because he doesn't try to he's, negotiate. He's... He just tells you this is what we're doing and then just digs in his heels. And yeah. you can't do that when there's other ideas in this country other than right. yours. Well, especially when you bring Democrats to a meeting. Yeah. You know, everyone's got to talk. And that's that's the whole meeting where apparently the president said some really... Yeah, inappropriate things. And then the meeting. There was a meeting a couple weeks beforehand with uh, Diane Feinstein. That was on TV. Yeah, that was in over the. I, I read this but over he, the weekend. Yeah, and he nailed, but he did really well in that meeting, right? He just he well, didn't. He, he, it was interesting because Feinstein asked him, "Can we have a clean DACA bill?" And the president said, "That sounds like a great idea." And then you get uh, McCarthy, who's a uh, a uh, Republican in the Senate, yes. saying, "Oh, president, sir, president." Um, that you, that's not exactly how we've discussed things. We want an immigration. We want a security component with the DACA. And he goes, I think that's what, and the president says that, I think that's what she's saying. And they're like, no, 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 that's not what Senator Feinstein said. Well, after the cameras turned off, that yeah. meeting that was televised on cable for 50 minutes, it was turned off. They had a list of talking points provided by the White House as saying this is what the White House wants. And President Trump's like, I don't even know what this list is. Who wrote this up? Why is this in the room? Who brought this list? So just being on the same page yeah. when it comes to what the White House wants yeah. versus what the president thinks he wants has been a challenge. That's, it. That, that's probably maybe whole that's why situation. 
Uh, maybe that's why they're saying they think his heart is pure, like he right. wants something, but for some reason his it, it team's seem, not getting it. It seems like there's another force working as the president's talking to you. There's something else over here telling you this is what the it's White not House Melania, wants to do. Is it? No, she's she's taking care of cyberbullying. Um, as the government shuts down, drama unfolds on Capitol Hill. Republicans in the White House keep pounding Democrats with a two pronged argument. Democrats are supporting legal immigrants, and they don't want ne- to negotiate with the minority or the minority party on that issue while the government remains closed, saying it would be a tantamount to allowing hostage-taking. So far, neither line of attack is working. Democrats showed little sign of budging on the first day after federal funding ran dry, but the rhetoric is growing ever more heated as each side seeks to land on the side of just the right message that will allow them to prevail in the battle for public opinion. So it's legal immigrants versus, uh, or illegal immigrants versus Trump chaos. Wow, just kind of the messaging from both sides. Yeah, and that's that's what I I get frustrated at is there's a bigger issue. The government's closed because of what you're doing, and you're worrying about your PR messaging yeah. at the moment. We have we have people that can't go to work today. Yeah, I mean, and that's these are people that have been serving forever, and and they're acting like it's a moral cause that they're the sacrifice is being made for these people and their livelihoods at the moment, but it just turns into your political party and where you're positioning for November? Yeah. Come on. Come on! You can do that all year. You don't need to do that. That's right. President Trump uh, has put Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross out to pasture, says some headlines. (laughs) Ross's efforts to wheel and deal with the Chinese have left the president unimpressed. Another problem, he keeps falling asleep in meetings, apparently. Really? When they were, remember when Trump went to Saudi Arabia and they had the huge presentations and all this, there were several uh, trade meetings that were happening. And there's this photograph. Ivanka is sitting there and then some other uh, government people. And yeah. then Wilbur Ross is just nodding off on the side. And he's the commerce secretary. Well, yeah, That's but, his whole job is trade, right? But we've talked a lot on the show about the importance of a good nap. In the middle of your meeting? Yeah. He's also – the Trump's not really impressed with some of his, his efforts with some trade deals that oh, were done. Yeah. So then Trump undercut his efforts in front of the foreign – uh, dignitaries oh, that are wow. negotiating yeah, with Ross, so they're all of a sudden they're like, so he's not the guy we're talking to, it's somebody else. But so. the rule is you always undercut him when he's asleep. Also, two weeks ago, Ryan Zinke, he's the interior secretary, made an announcement that surprised the White House. Uh, they announced that uh, all the waterways around the country, all the coastlines yeah. will be yeah. open for drilling. And then Zinke came out after after a few days and went, oh, except for Florida. Except for Florida, where we have Florida. a big election coming. Florida, we're going to pull that back. Uh, yeah, there's a big election there. Well, he never passed that through the White House. Uh-oh. There's laws that make it so that you can't just snap your fingers and pull back on drilling rights. Or when you make a declaration, just stop because it's unfair to everyone in the entire country. Yeah, right. Because now it opens up the White House for lawsuits from every other state that doesn't want drilling in their waters. <laughs> so they're not happy with what he did there. Okay. So, commerce and interior, both secretaries. Eh. Yeah, but so so he may. Yeah, he'll he'll clean house. He's not afraid. He's not afraid to do over. No. So we'll see. That's good. Um, and uh, so over the weekend, I, we spent a lot of time on the show. Probably too much time talking about Oreos. Yeah, yeah, we do. Actually. But but I, I think it's for a good cause. What's the cause? They're good. <laughs> oh, that's the cause. That's okay. The cause. In fact, this I weekend you're talking about a charity. Found some hazelnut. Flavored oh, Oreos? Yeah. Kind of wish they had a little bit more of the hazelnut more flavor. More hazel than nut. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. maybe a, a direct like sponsorship with a Nutella would have been a better approach to this. Really? But they made their own hazelnut. Yeah, I, I saw know. those on the shelf. It's and not I bad. I chose not to take them. My wife is in the middle of a uh, diet program. She's trying to focus. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh, I, I think I want some Pringles. And I walked down there. No, no, no. Wife, oh, wife's trying to focus. Job. I'm going to do this for her. Yeah. Walked down to the next aisle with hazelnut Oreos. Oh, Absolutely. those she'll like. It's a nut. You're supposed to have nuts in the diet. Yeah. So I told her, I'm sorry. I, w- I was thinking of you on one aisle and then definitely not thinking of you the next aisle. Mm-hmm. Well, I found this. What? Amazon has a club subscription service for Oreo cookies. Really? Do we need that? So you can get subscriptions for basically like all kinds of things. Beauty products. You can get books. Yeah, socks. Um, my, my kids get boxes with like toys and like learning supplies and stuff in them, which is, you know, they're all excited because there's this box that shows up and it has cool stuff in it. Well, now there's a cookie club. Each box comes with uh, two Oreo snacks, either cookies or candy bars because they're into both now. Mm-hmm. A mix of old favorites and new innovations. So oh, you don't wow. have to buy like the whole pack. They give you like a sample pack of the new stuff. Oh, okay. That I guess that's good. Yeah. So you get a little taste. Uh, Oreo-inspired gift and a recipe card. Uh, Ways you can innovate Oreos into other food like desserts. And, um, yeah. But- it's. I mean, this makes sense. Like if it's Star Wars, and you're so into Star Wars, you want everything. But there's, these are Oreos. These Oreo are cookies. Hats and mugs and games that are involved in all Paraphernalia. this. Paraphernalia. All kinds of stuff. Are, Swag. Are people that into Oreos? I guess a 12 month subscription is. What would be too much money? Do you think? Five dollars. Five is too. What about twenty for 12 months? Oh yeah, twenty total. Yeah, twenty bucks for or 12 twenty months. bucks a month. Well, let's let's see. It's a probably... three, six, or twelve month subscription with each factoring out to about twenty bucks a box. So it's twenty bucks a, a month. Yeah, not worth it. That's too much. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, per box. So I yeah, only yeah, get yeah. a one box a month. Yeah, yeah, not worth it. It doesn't mm. tell you how many, how much. I mean, uh, you really got a lot. I mean, get, but... yeah. I mean, yeah, not. And worth do all it. these? Okay, so all of Amazon's um, conciliary yeah, subscription yeah. things come in addition to Amazon Prime, right? Like you have to be a Prime member to be an Oreo Cookie Club member. Uh, to it, be doesn't, a, it doesn't say that. I but don't know. Probably. But you'd pro- or mm-hmm. pay more. They yeah. keep messing with Prime, so probably. But yeah. it's all everything. The fix is in on every aspect of life. But there is a box that you can get every month. That they just send you cookies. Really? Get yeah. Anything. Not you know what? I the think future is great. Maybe get another hobby. They just put out spicy cinnamon Oreo. They were hot and spicy cinnamon Oreos. I saw mm-hmm. those there. I'm like, eh, I don't want those. Yeah, those don't, don't seem like a good uh-huh. flavor to me. Maybe what you could do, yeah, uh, is get a dog. Nah, dogs are cheaper. Um, did you hear this latest research? Apparently, humans love dogs more than people. Yeah, I believe it. If, it's getting to the point now where. Um, you 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 get a story about like human is abused versus a animal is abused, and the yeah. animal almost has it seems like there's oh, yeah. more compassion that direction oh, yeah. than towards the human. No, absolutely. Yeah. I've been waiting for the hero of the day to turn into just dog of the day for well, a while. Well, <laughs> we had one of those, and I kind of backed away. Uh, okay. Two major studies showed that mankind has more empathy for pooches in dire circumstances than suffering people. There you go. According to the Times of London, a UK medical research uh, study that was researching charity, they staged two phony donation campaigns, one for a dog and the other featuring a man. And, of course, the pooch drew more contributions. Hmm. Would you give five pounds to save Harrison from a slow, painful death? The separate ad said, featuring a canine and a human named Harrison. 
And then a Northeastern study showed that only a baby human could compete with man's best friend. So a baby. A baby we have more compassion for than maybe even a toddler. Wow. I mean, dogs are beautiful. Right. Yeah, at what age do humans become less than dogs? Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the next study. Students were uh, shown fake newspaper clippings about a baseball bat attack on a puppy and an adult dog, a year-old infant and a 30-year-old adult. Hmm. They were asked questions to gauge their empathy, and the adult finished in last place in sympathy. Hmm. So a puppy, an adult dog, and a one-year-old child all garner more sympathy than a 30-year-old adult. From a baseball bat attack, though, I think a 30-year-old adult can handle being hit with a bat more than a, a poor little dog. Wow, that is uh, – It's a dog, It's Matt. kind of a sad day, though. But, I mean – yeah, it's dogs a good are day for the dog listeners here on the Matt Townsend well, Show. The other thing is these are obviously uh, the world – you haven't lived in a country, a third world country. Because in a third world country, dogs don't have as much empathy. We don't have as much empathy for those dogs because, you know, they're feral and they're running around the street and it's it's crazy. But, boy, what's happening when we don't even hmm, worry? But they're dogs. Uh, yeah, but the other person's a human. But it's a dog. It's got four legs, and it's furry. And I love dogs. You're you're making my argument for me. I know. It's just something's not right. Hmm. Well, do something about it. Hey, up next, we're going to be talking about how story time with your children may turbocharge their brain development. Pretty awesome research as we uh, understand best how to... Uh, how to engage our children and light them up mentally. It turns out that one of the more overlooked parts of parenting is actually one of the most important to a child's development. New research shows that reading with your child before bedtime can seriously stimulate the brain development. It also shows that there are a few things parents can do to make story time even better for their children. Here to speak with us today is the lead researcher of that study, Dr. John Hutton. John is a pediatrician and clinical researcher at the Cincinnati Children's Hospital. By the way, he also owns a children's bookstore and has written 24 children's books. John, thank you for being with us today. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And you've been busy researching, <laughs> being a pediatrician, and writing uh, kids' books. Talk to us. I mean, I think we all intuitively get that, you know, there's some magic that can take place when we're reading with our children. But what is your research telling us about how it helps with healthy brain development? Uh, it's it's really exciting time. I mean, I think that... Um, that the work we're doing at Cincinnati Children's is really um, applying new technologies, specifically MRI, uh, magnetic resonance imaging, to really explore what's going on in the brains of, of, of kids. Um, and most of my work is three- to five-year-old kids um, to really help them um, help, help build healthy networks to, so that they can learn to read and um, be more excited about reading. But really, what we particularly look at is what, what's go, what things in the home in those early years can really help promote um, healthy brain development and, and we're better understanding what parts of the brain are actually involved. So when, when we're reading with our kids, um, what, what is the, what, 
what makes it healthy for them? Is it just the reading, or uh, does more need to be involved than just them listening to a story? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, components to it, and, and, and really this this is the kind of thing that, you know, any any grandparent would probably tell you, well, I always knew that, you know, but, but we're actually using this, you know, sort of high-tech scientific ways to sort of look at it, but um, different aspects involved, you know, first of all, your access to books is critical, you know, kids, in order to read books, kids need to, need to have books, and, you know, a lot of kids are fortunate enough to have, you know, have books at home, and, and some don't, and there are programs to help them, but um, and then from there, it's, it's how often reading occurs. You know, the, re- the routines in the home are incredibly important, um, starting from, you know, the American Academy of, Academy of Pediatrics recommends starting as soon as possible after birth, you know, just establishing those daily routines of reading, very important. And then that helps build interest in reading, creating the sense that reading is a is a fun thing to do, that, that's, a, that's a very loving and nurturing experience that, that kids you know, really learn to appreciate. And then, then the interactive aspect of reading is very important as well, getting kids involved. And whether that's just holding the book when they're little or actually asking questions and answering questions and trying to read the words themselves. Well, it really is. I mean, it, it is a special moment. And if you've had a child and ever sat with a child or a grandchild or any child, really, and and have a chance to interact with them on a book, it's powerful. You really can see their mind working. Um, does it? What What's actually happening as we are, you know, getting them into the book, letting them turn the pages, as we are maybe changing our voices for the in, in the book? What What's going on in the child's brain? Oh, it's uh, so much. Probably more than we can ever ever appreciate. I think I think starting, you know, with with younger babies, you know, before they're really talking, they're really just appreciating that sense of being held and loved and hearing their you know, their parent or grandparent or other caring grown-up's voice, um, that helps them to, to build their language skills. You know, the more words kids hear, the more that they learn and the more they eventually can say and read. So their, their early experience is about nurturing and language. And then from there, it's sort of understanding how the books work, you know, holding the book, turning the pages, they're building those fine motor skills. And then it's, it's an increasingly more complex understanding of, of, of how story structure occurs, you know, sentences to the whole plot and the story, the characters. And all these things involve different parts of the brain, different networks in the brain that are sort of wired together at different critical times in development. Um, one of the really fascinating things about reading is that the, the brain does does not naturally know how to read. The process of, of reading involves sort of integrating and knitting together these older parts of the brain that, that that evolve for for vision and language and and attention and and really putting those together at these in, in these first five years of life or, or or so to to create an actual reading brain network and and the more kids are read to the healthier that network is. Hmm. That really, I, I, it didn't dawn on me that so many things like even the motor skills or the physical skills of being able to just handle a book, manage a book. Um, was was such a was such a big issue there? Is it, uh, it? Do you see anything different going on with reading today, as we now have all of these other electronic devices and and technology? It seems like it might be easier for a child to just watch a movie than actually go engage the work of a book, and that might dissuade them from getting into books. Is technology stealing the time and the place of books? Uh, you bring up a huge issue, very, very important one. I'm glad you did. Um, the the issue with technology, I mean, so much has developed so fast in the in the high tech arena that that we're creating these you know these portable gadgets and other things that are 
that are being advertised as, as teaching kids things, teaching them how to, you know, language and other skills. And um, the, the issue is that, that you know that, that before age two, you know, children really don't, I mean, they'll be engaged by screens. They like to watch it. They think it's interesting, but they really don't learn much from it. Um, the first two years of life is really critical to have a human caregiver actually, you know, talking to the child, working with the child, and something and something hardwired in the brain really um, it, that there's a trigger that, that that tells them if a if a grown up that I care about is talking to me, I need to pay attention, and that's where learning happens. The the biggest risk with the devices is taking the grown-up out of the picture. Um, there's a temptation to sort of hand over the device, click a button, and mm-hmm. and it's it's making noises and, and telling story. But anytime you take the grown-up out of the picture, it it minimizes the learning experience and 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 removes the possibility of of talking about what's going on in the story, relating the story to the child's life, and that sense of being cared for. I think so. The more more people are involved, the better. That's great. And I guess it doesn't – does it matter if it's – can it be anybody or does it matter yeah. that it's a parent? I think it can be anybody. I think it's as long as it's a grown-up that, that really is engaged with the child um, and is, is really willing to put that time in and interact with them um, and the child um, trusts and cares about, and then it's, it's – you know, it can be any family member. It could be a teacher, you know. Um, yeah. That's interesting too. That, uh, like, I remember uh, my kids would want to read the same book over and over again, and as an adult, my head was like, "Oh, come on, let's get some, <laughs> let's, let's get some diversity in here." Does it does it matter if they're reading the same thing over and over again? Should we be mixing it up a bit? Um, I think a little bit of both. I think and your children do definitely love to read the book same book over and over again, especially in that, you know. Uh, two- to three-year-old period where, where they're not really reading the book. They basically are memorizing the book and then and telling it back and sort of pretending like they're actually doing the reading. Children like to develop a sense of mastery. Hmm. So when they read the book over and over, they're, they're practicing and they're saying, look, I can do this, you know, by, by doing the same one. But then you, you, know, you do work in other new books and expose them to new characters and new situations, and that'll help with that learning process as well. You said uh, to, to start it early. Uh, how early is too early? So it's, um, I mean, again, the, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends from as soon as possible after after birth, which seems crazy to a lot of parents. They say, you know, my child's barely able to sit up on my lap. Why, why would I read to them? Yeah. And that, that's really mostly about just creating the healthy habit, you know, the sort of spending time together, slowing down, unplugging, and just sitting on the lap and, and just looking at the pictures in a book and just to share that experience. And then as the child gets older, they can participate more actively. Um, so I say as, as early as as early as possible, but being realistic about what the child's going to get out of it. You know, that early on, it really is mostly about the, the ritual of spending time together, which is increasingly important these days when parents have a hard time slowing down and, and taking that time to put their phones away and share a book with a child. It's so true. It's, uh, it seems like as parents, we may do a lot of things to undermine the actual experience. What are some other things we should make sure we're not doing during the, the reading experience so that they can take advantage of it? I think it's it's really important to keep the reading experience fun, um, you know, to to not have the child feel pressure that this is for you know, for testing. I think a lot of kids develop that sense that reading is something that they do at school and it's hard and it's you know it's 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 a more of a chore. Um, to to really just keep it as lighthearted as possible, letting the child participate and ask questions and talk about their favorite characters and animals and everything, and make it a loving, fun experience. 
Um, parents can also model reading at home by reading themselves. You know, we know that kids that grow up in homes where they see their parents reading as opposed to checking their phones or doing watching TV or whatever, they're going to want to do what their parents are doing or their caregivers are doing. Mm. So being good role models in that respect is really important, I think. It, and um, It kind of never – I mean, it seems like parenting 101. As a pediatrician, I'm sure you you see it a lot. It, but you started the whole thing talking about access and – I mean, some families grew up in in homes where there there wasn't access to books, but also there wasn't there wasn't a parent that did this. They 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 don't even have a habit or the routine of reading and reading in the home. Um, talk about routines and and the importance of routines for our children. Yeah, that that's really really important. The um... And you're absolutely right. I mean, I mean, some children are very fortunate to grow up in homes where reading is valued and, and, and they have lots of readers around, lots of books around. But, you know, a lot of kids don't. I mean, a, a, a huge number, you know, um, grow up with uh, no books at home and, mm. and parents that struggle to read themselves. And, um, you know, it's, it's I think in, in my work in pediatrics, you know, we really we know some programs that we use in our clinic. There's one called Reach Out and Read. There's one called Imagination Library that that are these great programs that help kids get get access to books and and, and more reading guidance. But um, you know, I, I try to re- reassure parents who who are a little more um, unsure about reading that that aren't as confident. A lot of parents are concerned they won't do it right and. Um, and just to, even if they struggle with reading the words, to read the pictures. You know, one of the nice things about children's books is they they have pictures, and you can you can spend you go through a whole book and not read a single word on a page, and just talk about what's going on in the pictures with the child, and that's really valuable. Yeah, and you're modeling for them what the book is, and 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 the idea of the story, and that spending time together. So yes, that's important. What I mean. Um... Uh, part of this, again, I guess, is just engaging the child at whatever level they are, right? So if they, if it's just visual, then engage and talk visually. If if they can get into right. the words, if they can get into the patterns, I mean, there's 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 I guess there's no end to the levels and benefits of reading or going through books. You're absolutely right. Um, I mean, one of the great things about books is, is I mean, they have they're full of words, they're full of ideas, full of concepts, pictures. But more than anything, they're a, they're a wonderful, we call it a catalyst. There's something that really help bring grown-ups and kids together to spend time together, just sharing in whatever it is they bring to it, their their life experience. I mean, a book might lead into a to a story about you know when a grandparent was overseas or or, or something a something a, a parent liked to do when they were little, and, and just that opportunity to talk and and spend time together and. Um, and then hopefully lead into reading the stories and, and, and developing a love of reading that helps in school. But yeah. um, No, I yeah. notice it with my own kids. If I break into a story from, like, like we might read scriptures at night, and when we're reading scriptures at night, if I break into a story and start telling something that happened to me, it's, it really is one. It's the, it seems like the only time I have their attention is when I'm Absolutely. telling a story about my, me or my wife and um, or my wife's telling a story. It really stories are a, a very easy access to the the mind and heart of our children. Yeah, I think that's how humans have always understood the world. I mean, they've told each other stories, and the stories have been written down, and and that's what books are essentially. Is they're they're ways to better understand the world through through the words and 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 that whole narrative. But. Um, yeah, my daughter's twelve now, and she reads better than I do, probably. But we still read together every night because I think we like the 
we like the time to just slow down and spend time together and talk about what's going on. So it's a it's a great excuse to spend that time together. Absolutely. What what made you, uh, John? I mean, it's hard to become a doctor. It's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of energy. It's a lot of effort. And then on top of all of this, you open a bookstore as well. What what drives a pediatrician to open a, a bookstore, a children's bookstore? Yeah, so so our our bookstore is this little um little store called Blue Manatee in Cincinnati and it's a it was really um we didn't plan on opening a bookstore. It was a little store in our neighborhood that was going out of business in about 2001 and my wife and I she was a, she was a Montessori teacher as a a doctor and, and we didn't like we didn't want to see it go. So we actually went into their going out of business sale, had a conversation with the owner, signed a contract in green crayon they could take over the store and just to keep it alive and and we see it more as a as a mission than anything else. Yeah. Just, it's, I think it really represents something we think is important. You know, the, the holding a child's hand, walking down to the bookstore, looking at books together, picking out the books, and and taking them home and reading them. And um, you know, we've been fortunate that our community um, supports that and and allows us to keep the lights on. And and it fuels the work I do at at the hospital as well because it helps me to see families that have access to books and reading, and then it helps me to look and think about, well, what, what can we do to help families that don't, um, which is more the families that I, that I work with in my clinics. So, Were you an author? Were you an author of children's books before you bought uh, The Blue Manatee, or was it which came first? Um, I was an author after. I, I, my, my interest in, in writing, I've always loved to write, but um, a lot of the books that I write have um, health-related themes to them. You know, they're, they're children's books, but there's a, um, there's a series I wrote called Baby Unplugged, which was inspired by the idea of helping kids unplug from their devices and, and do and, and to really celebrate things that are fun in the, in the real world, like you know, playing with balls and playing with pets and going outside in the yard. And so a lot of the books that I write tend to have that that sort of mission behind them too of of, of all the work that I do and um, I've been fortunate that I've just been able to to keep keep going and and developing more concepts and ideas and things that I think are fun to write and I think I think it all works together I mean it definitely keeps me pretty busy but I um, you know I think the uh, work being in the store and doing the research and the writing all kind of you know creates a lot of positive energy that keeps keeps me going and keeps me excited. Absolutely. What uh, what would you say, John, is the is uh, the biggest takeaway? If there's one thing that we could all do as parents, as uh, grandparents, even just community members, to make sure that our kids are getting and deriving the benefits of reading, what would that one thing be? I, th- I think it's to to keep the experience uh, fun and interactive. You know, to get the children involved. Early, early on, just you know, whether it's holding the book, participating in the story, asking questions, just slowing, to, slowing down to spend time really enjoying the book by letting the child be actively involved, and that'll help them to be more excited about it and and um, feel like they're really, you know, appreciated and, and and getting a lot out of the process. Good stuff, Dr. John Hutton. Thank you so much for your great work. Again, uh, Dr. John Hutton is the lead researcher uh, on on this study we've been talking about. He's a pediatrician and researcher at Cincinnati's Children Children's Hospital. Also owns the Blue Manatee Bookstore in Cincinnati. And uh, and remember, here at BYU Broadcasting, we have a we have a show that's on regularly. Worlds awaiting with the host Rachel Wadham, where they talk about different books and they help you as parents engage and understand how better to engage your children on um, on different books and subjects. It's one you're going to want to check into. Just go to byuradio.org to look that up. This is the Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to help you be the good in the world. 
I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back, friends. You know, it's interesting. We, um, we have children. We work for our children. We get up early every day, go kill ourselves to bring home the bacon. We clean the house. We do all of these things. And yet finding enough time to sit down and read with our kids seems like a major difficulty. Isn't it funny where we, um, we know what's essential in our lives. We, we say we know what's essential. But if you knew that you could turbocharge your child's brain by reading with them every day for 30 minutes. Oh, boy, that's a lot of time, Matt. I mean, I mean, I, what about The Bachelor? When would we watch The Bachelor? And I don't want to make anybody feel guilty, except I know I don't uh, read it with my kids like I need to. And um, it's, it's hard. And yet it's so valuable. I think it's easy with the first kid. Our first child, we read, everybody read to my my first child. My second child even got some attention. But my fifth and sixth children, eh, half the time we wonder if they're even home. And so just think about it. A little coach's corner. One of the things I wanted to talk about is it's uh, in the end, it really is the little things that might come from something like reading that might create a little more discipline in your child, might allow them the, the tenacity, the ability to, to put their phone down and to actually seek after something um, that, that might bring more insight, more understanding. It might also help them, obviously, uh, with their ability to focus, their ability to, to focus their attention on something. So it is a simple, simple little solution that might go a very, very long way. And it also could be, I believe, integrated into what we call family rituals. Maybe part of the ritual would be simply how we decide as a family to go to bed. And, um, you know, if we could have a little bit of time, family time, uh, doing whatever, whether it's reading or praying or talking – Um, We also have talked about on the show over and over the power of the family meal. And if you families that eat together and have a consistent dinner time where everyone's home and they they spend that time eating without their cell phones on, just the the wonderful blessings that are there um, as far as the child's ability to feel like they're a member of a group and a team or their family, their ability to... Um, say no to other things uh, and, and live a healthier life, have more self-discipline. Lots of benefits come out of just the family meal. But what about the family reading time? I mean, if you have younger kids, maybe it's time to open up a series of books. And as a family, let's read that series together. The benefit is if you if you can just get everybody hooked into a story, we could turn technology off and spend a half hour uh, a night reading that. Or you can even make uh, any kind of story time more exciting or fun by having people play parts, giving everybody a different role to play, or acting out the scene, or spending a little time before you start this next uh, section that you're reading and talking about what we're going to read, then read it, and then spend some time talking about what what we read. Another rule I've seen with my kids is keeping it short. I have found a 15-minute to 20-minute lesson is so much more valuable than a 40-minute lesson where they're frustrated the entire time. 
So if I could give them time to wiggle and fun and have fun and wrestle and do what they need, and then we throw together a really solid 15-minute moment, there's power in that. Uh, a lot of times, too, I've even, I've even just seen it in teaching in church or teaching a youth group somewhere. If I can just let them kind of relax and be themselves for half of the time that we're together, they will generally give me the other half to influence them deeply. And you'll, you'll know you're influencing them because they'll be engaged. But let's remember, family is – it's about – really, it's about this ability to connect and relate to each other. It's about allowing the family to go where the family needs to go. And sometimes as parents, we're so dead set on it having to be our agenda, our time frame, um, instead of being a little bit more dynamic. And if we could teach our kids the power and the ability to handle dynamic times – we might set them up for success. Not everything goes on schedule. Not everything is perfectly black and white. And this might be a wonderful time to create some more resilience in your kids as you talk about the less black and white scenarios of life. Anyway, it's just reading time, right? Or it's some type of family time. I challenge all of us to, uh, to find that time today. And let's, let's, let's see if we can't habitualize it by making it a time that we can work together every day at the same time, 9 o'clock, every night, we're going to have family time. Or 9.30, when we go to bed, it's going to, we're going to go down and, and we're going to read a book together this way. It's just it's basics, right? Family Basics 101. Doing what we can on the program to help you live a healthier life as a family and to be the good in the world. We'll continue the journey in just a minute. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, lots of news, uh, and a lot of the news you may not even hear about. Um, How about a customer attacks a Waffle House worker because they wanted the thermostat turned down? Seems reasonable. Yeah, I mean, you know how you get when you're eating your waffles and chicken and it's just too hot? Yes. So you're like, I can't. I you got to turn it down. Three customers were caught on video attacking a Tennessee Waffle House employee on New Year's Eve after they wanted the thermostat adjusted. The woman who shot the video, who did not wish to be named, said that the two adults and a 16-year-old walked into the eatery about 1.30 p.m. They complained it was too hot in the restaurant and asked that the temperature be turned down. The 21-year-old worker who was uh, sweeping the floor said she would, a- she would ask the manager – and then one of the women didn't like the answer and instead started punching the employee. Yeah. I mean, hello. I just and, – and who says you have the right to just walk in anywhere, not just punch anyone, but to move the thermostat? Right. In my house. You could choose to just walk away, leave. Right. I choose how hot and cold to keep my house because I live there. Yeah. Right. When I invite guests over, they can make suggestions that I will promptly ignore. Right. And keep it the temperature I like. See, this is this is where people think that the customer's always right. Eh. But maybe not. There's other people in the in the Waffle House and maybe they like it the temperature that it is. By the way, the employee who was the victim of the attack was not seriously injured, so police are now investigating. Another uh, crazy story, a man used bank robbery cash to buy an engagement ring 
for his fiance. Authorities say a man robbed a bank in Ohio, used the money to buy his fiance an engagement ring. 36-year-old Dustin Peterson has been charged with robbing a Fifth Third Bank branch in Trenton on December 16th. Police say the records show that Peterson spent 4500 bucks on an engagement ring less than an hour after the robbery. Well, what do they say? Like half a month's salary or two months' salary? Whatever it's that, supposed yeah, to be. Is that it? Well, man, that's. I mean, it's, I guess that was one robbery. Right. I guess in the robbery, he netted $8,800 and he spent 4500 on that's the ring. That's exactly it. So his salary for yeah. the month was robbing one bank. He spent really, half it yeah. on the ring. He obviously loves her a lot. Mm-hmm. It was worth robbing a bank for. Right. Police say uh, Peterson uh, became a suspect after the man wearing an identical hat robbed a bank six days later. Ah, see, that'll get you every time. And, and we've taught on the show over and over, you got to change your costume. Mm-hmm. Nondescript. Yeah. Make sure. Least you can do is get another hat. Yeah. Peterson denied robbing any banks, but told police that the surveillance photos of the robber did look like him. Yeah, to be fair. I mean, it fair, wasn't me, but that guy I looks s- a lot. I like see where you're coming from. <laughs> I'm telling you, the criminals—they're just not. They don't seem as smart as they used to be. I don't know why. They don't know why. Well, that's the that's the journey of it, folks. We will continue the fun straight ahead at a whole other hour on the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Terry and Cole. Jeffrey Liam Simpson is out on special uh, release from the state. That sounds bad. Just like the rest of the government. <laughs> yeah. But as the government has shut down, apparently uh, Jeff thought he didn't have to work today because of the government shutdown. So he didn't he didn't come in today. We'll see if he figures it out. By tomorrow? Yeah. Or if I have to wake up early again? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. You'll know. You'll definitely know. The gang is gathered and uh, we got a lot uh, to talk about. The government, by the way, still is shut down. If you thought something um, new had happened, no, not yet. But apparently soon they will be meeting in Washington, D.C., and hopefully uh, wants, you know, they'll be able to, to move something forward. McConnell uh, now wants to hold off on the DACA talks. Maybe, you know, let's just get this thing solved. Let's get the government running again. Uh, please, Democrats, quit bringing up DACA is what he's saying during this during these deliberations. Is Chip still in? Chip's still in because nobody was, wants to. Chip was kind of tossed in there too. Yeah. Okay. But see, and Chip's, Chip is six years more to ensure right. the children of America, but which is such a. There I mean, was who, also sort of a, vote against that. There was also a feel of uh, why would the Democrats vote against children when that's right. not the issue? The issue was keeping the government open, yeah. right? So there was kind of a little distraction there too. So well, and DACA, their children—they were children too. They were. Now they're adults, but they were kids. You're right. <laughs> so if you're gonna if you're gonna take care of some children, you got to take care of all the children. Yeah. It's a really tangled web that's going on. But we are now into day two, hour eleven, eight minutes and seven seconds. Love the countdown clock. The government shutdown uh, that you can find your own clock if you want to go to CNN. Really? You could just put it up and have it ticking all day long. Now, some government employees might be okay with a little break today, Mm. but I'm assuming others are like, what? Yeah. This is going to cost me. 
But in 51 minutes and 30 seconds, it will be noon Washington, D.C. time. And then we'll see what happens. They might do something. Now, government workers get uh, retroactive pay, right? So the days they miss, they, they get that paid for once the government kicks back into gear again. Yeah. But I heard one guy this morning talk about how you kind of get it in a lump sum and then it's taxed the lump sum, not at what you're normal normally paid. Yeah. So there's more taxes taken out. So it actually ends up being less overall, but, you know, well, whatever. And a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck. So that becomes tough. If all of a sudden this goes on a couple of weeks, that could really take a bite. Wait, right. government, government employees. So I guess I should know this, right? Government mm. employees get taxed. Isn't there paycheck coming from taxes anyway? Well, sure. But I mean, that individual still gets taxed. That seems so sad. Yeah. The government gives it and then just takes some back. Yeah, it's called the government. Aww. Yeah, it, don't you remember that was a that was a, a show on Saturdays about how the government <laughs> would take your money. Oh no, maybe not. That was a different one. Hey, um, President Trump's still in town. I guess he never left town. He was supposed to go to Mar-a-Lago to make a lot of money uh, on a fundraiser. Didn't do that. Um, also, now supposed to be traveling the world uh, to go to other meetings and. Yeah. We'll, we'll Davos, see you, uh, Switzerland, they're yeah. having a World Economic Summit. He's supposed to be there later this week to give a speech. Seems like on he's, yeah, he'd be great to have The that. idea <laughs> – maybe. The idea is explaining what America first means to the world economy. Yeah. I mean and America first he, means the world can come in second. Right. Can he, can he share the vision of uh, fair deals for – America is kind of kind of what he wants to, but whenever he presents it, it's kind of the uh, in-your-face, we're the best sort of a presentation. First, you're last. Yeah, and that doesn't really sit well when other people are like, you want us to work with you? Yeah. You know, so it's a matter of how they present this message of America first, meaning better deals for our country. We don't feel like we're being treated fairly is his message. Interesting, yeah. So can he float that? Can he make that work? He's also going to like... It's like the biggest globalist club meeting in uh, in the world, right? They there's so many private jets. You'll see photographs coming out of the airport there in Switzerland, just completely swamped with private jets. Yeah, but, but they have no place to go. Why don't we send somebody else? I mean, the president can stay, but why don't we just bring well, home Pence and on his way home let Pence go to well, there, Switzerland? Uh, Mnuchin, who's the Treasury yeah. Secretary, he's leading a delegation there. But the problem is sending government officials to Switzerland. Yeah. When the government is closed, yeah. it just looks bad. But we've already so. got we've already got Pence out. He's yeah, already Pence in is Israel. already out, and he can just he's drop free. by Switzerland, just swing in there after you get out of Jerusalem. There. Yeah, I you don't know. know if that's really his forte, but hey, you know what? And he's done that a couple times now, where he kind of goes in the place of President Trump yeah. to a big world meeting, and people are not really taking thought, that well. I thought that was the role of the vice president in it's some like places, attendant. but at some point, the president has to go out there and be the president. And it seems like he's always either preoccupied yeah. or he's in Florida. Well, and there, there, there's a really good chance that because of the negotiator that he is, that he'll have this thing tied up today. Where did we get this idea that he's a great negotiator? Uh, he wrote a book on it. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. He said so. Well, I know he talks about it. It just seems like well, every, but, every time there's he, a chance. I mean, he, he became president of the United States. Okay. He talked a lot of people into voting for him. It's mm. a negotiation. And he has some pretty good ratings relatively. To himself right now. I mean, 40% of the electorate are back in his, you know, see him positively. Okay. Just so it seems like there's a lot of negotiations that are happening and he's either not involved or there's a lot of confusion. Well, in fact, that is a clarification that the White House just came out with um, 
because uh, what's his name? Who was it from South Carolina that said he's that Steve Miller? Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham's now, you know, he said Steve Miller's not doing so, much good for the president. Right, right now, when it comes to immigration, Steve Miller is the one leading the negotiations in the White House. And when it comes to the lockdown, that's John Kelly. Yeah. There's no, where's, is the president talking to anybody? Is he going to meetings? Or are they discuss? is people coming to the White House to talk about this? No, they're calling the White House and talking to one of these two people, and right. that's it. And li- Senate well, Democrats could tweet at him at the, real the, Donald that'd Trump. That would be probably more productive at mm-hmm. the moment. He Lindsey, sees that. Lindsey Graham, though, said Steve Miller, uh, Stephen Miller, he, he's not helping. And as long as he's in charge of the immigration uh, discussion, it's not going to work. But the White House came out with a statement saying that Stephen Miller is pushing Trump's agenda, not his own. Right. And there's been some evidence of that over the last few weeks. Clarifying that. Trump saying one thing, the White House says another, and then, you know, wires are crossed somewhere. Maybe what they just need to do is tell Trump what his agenda is. Well, that would seem to be the way to go, but maybe they don't know. I think it'd be, I think the president's in a really hard position. I mean, he does make it harder for himself, but, you know, he's not a political wonk. He doesn't love just studying all of this stuff and learning more and more and more about. DACA and immigration. He doesn't love that. I mean, some no. presidents love that. Right. He just he he'd rather just kind of move on. So you have to trust the people around you and maybe it's not working. Hmm. Uh, let's get to the headlines, Terry. What else should we be paying attention to? The White House public comment line is not accepting calls during the government shutdown. The voicemail message has been updated to blame the change on Democrats. Thank you for calling the White House. The message says, unfortunately, we cannot answer your call today because congressional Democrats are holding government funding including funding for our troops and other national security priorities hostage. Uh, well, they're holding a hostage to an unrelated immigration debate. It then directs you to go to whitehouse.gov, click comment, and then leave something there for the president, which, of course, gets right to his desk. Yeah. And everyone sees that. Well, it'll just pop right up. Not that the phone line will get to his desk either, but they're no. there for public yeah. comment. They can't answer the phone line right um, now. Dur- uh, Senate Minority Whip Dick Durbin on Sunday re- re- roundly rejected President Trump's proposal that the Senate GOP go nuclear in an end to, to end the government shutdown with the Democrats without the Democrats' help. Because I can tell you that it would be the end of the Senate as it was originally devised and created going back to our founding fathers, Durbin said in an interview on ABC. We have to acknowledge our respect for the minority, and that is what the Senate tries to do in its composition and its procedure. When Democrats controlled the Senate in years past, Durbin did not seem to hold this view. In 2014, for example, he defended Democrats' 2013 decision to invoke the, quote, nuclear option, which is the Senate needs, like right now, they need 60 votes to pass this budget. Yeah. So they need all the Republicans plus about, what, six to ten Democrats right, right. to agree to this. The nuclear option is we just go 50-50 and we take it. Mm. So no Democrats, we just go. And they did that with the judicial appointments, right. which caused a lot of uproar. Well, they did it because the Democrats have been doing it on other issues. The Democrats actually set that precedent yeah. before, and so the Republicans just followed through with We're what they did, what with you did years past. So. Yeah. They're going back and forth. They're, they're saying this wouldn't work. And then Mitch McConnell said he opposes the change to, on this level to these rules for legislation because you need to find a deal that works for the nation, not just works for one party. Sure. And if you do the one-sided negotiating, meaning you don't even talk to the other side, that doesn't get anything done. Right, right. It causes more problems down the road. So try to fix it. For years, you've been told to cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze, especially when you're sick. But a new study finds that it may be possible to spread the flu just by breathing. 
No coughing or sneezing required. People shed a lot of viruses all the time, even when they don't cough, says Donald Milton, author of the study and a professor at the University of Maryland. As a result, it's important to realize you can be infectious at any time. The researchers also found that men shed more flu virus per cough than women, but women (laughs) cough more frequently. People with a higher body mass index also tend to expel more viral particles than people with a smaller BMI, perhaps because higher BMIs have been linked to higher rates of inflammation and more frequent closing and reopening of small airways. Yeah. So just it being there, you're maybe infecting people with the flu. So maybe don't cover it. Just, I mean, you're breathing. Just don't be around people. Yes. Yeah. Let alone locked in a hermetically sealed Radio studio. studio. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. It's all true. Yeah, that's why we're all going to get sick as a Jeff. Newark Liberty International Airport, New Jersey, had a uh, situation where some people, turned out to be a TV crew filming a reality TV show, tried to get through the TSA with something that looked like a fake bomb. It was a like PVC pipe with some wires hanging out of it. Oh, boy. Did they... They're like, they sorry. Through? No, they were caught and they were taken away, but it's a reality TV show. Yeah, you know what? They it, need to, yeah. It shut down the airport for a while. The reality show was supposedly being made for CNBC. CNBC had no comment on the story. <laughs> it's we a, know it was nothing. A, it was a Dutch film crew who was playing a little joke. <laughs> so that was last week. Be careful. Yeah, good. <laughs> good your, joke. Leave your, <laughs> leave, your, leave your PVC and wires at home. Right. Finally, um, should we reconsider adolescence to last until, say, 24 yeah, we've talked about this. That's, I mean, it is what it is. If if they're mature, if they're not mature till 24, hmm. and, you know, many would wonder, like, how many times have you and I said, when's Cole going to grow up? Right. Yeah. You old people going to blame my generation for something again? No, your adolescence is just needs to be extended. We've talked about multiple times there's lots of debt coming out of college. Yeah. And people tend to move back home. Yeah. Moving back home doesn't help you break out of adolescence. Right. It helps you continue it because now you're living at home with mom and dad. The rules are probably similar to what they were when you were a kid. Oh, yeah. And you're in your old bedroom. I mean, all those trappings of being a kid are still there. You don't have any sort of adult. Many would argue this is why we need a war. Then we could send oh, all wow. these kids off to war and they'd mature right up. I guess that's one way to do I mean, it. I heard, I heard somebody say that. Someone, send them off to war. One and person has maybe argued that. Nothing, nothing will mature a kid faster than war. Right. So this is uh, Susan Sawyer, ch- the chair of adolescent health at the University of Melbourne, in an op-ed published in the journal of uh, what the Lancet Child and Adolescent Health. So a medical yeah. journal. The transition period from childhood to adulthood lasts far beyond 19 when it was popularly thought to end. As a result, she writes, we should change our policies and services to better serve this population. From a neuroscientific point of view, there may be some basis for extending the definition of this life stage as research suggests that the cognitive development, uh, cognitive development of the young can last until age 25. And some existing policies seem to already take this extended version of adolescence into account. Hmm. In the U.S., for example, the Affordable Care Act allows people to stay on their parents' health insurance till 26. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Still, other laws are all over the place. People get their uh, driver's license at 16, but you can't rent a car until 25. So there are, they, I guess, there's policies already understanding this. So, right. but. So the uh, the Sawyer in twenty well in twenty ten the New York Times published a much read article about how the experience of being a twenty something is changing 
as the piece noted, adolescence itself is a social construct, and a century ago there was no such thing. Right. The stage, let's see, Jeffrey Arnett told the, uh, the New York Times that now there is a stage of emerging adulthood, which essentially means being in your 20s but still feeling conflicted about identity exploration, instability, self-focused, and feeling in between different portions of your life. Well, is yeah. this a new thing, no. Matt? No. When right? you were when you were a mid twenty something, but but I, but I didn't have an out, right? So I just had to deal with it. Just had to pull on my boots. And there, there's a get book dealing we, with we, it. We had a guest on a while back talking about parents need to let their kids fail. Yeah, right. And you're waiting for me to get done because you want the book back. I'm working. Yeah, on I'd it. love to see that. So book. as I'm working through this book, she's talking about industrial revolution. Right. Right. Kids used to go out to work at like eight years old. Yeah. Then, you know, we came up with child labor laws to save them, right? But what she said was parenting changed at that point. It turned from uh, the, the kid became someone who could help with the family to the kid became someone you need to protect and nurture. Yeah. Right? So then, then you, you progress and like Dr. Spock came out and give you all these ideas of how to nurture. Wave, your, yeah. That kind of thought didn't exist Back when kids were, you know, they had a full time job at eight years old, right? You had to produce when you were a commo- you were you were a commodity to help the family. Right. Versus now you're you're this this very very important but super expensive part of the family who doesn't <laughs> add anything. You just go to school and come home and like eat up all the resources. Sounds really negative, but that's kind of what a kid is, negative, right? Yeah. And, and so it was that 1920s, whatever, right through that period, all of a sudden labor laws kick in and then the kids stay home all day. Oh. The kids go to school and they're home. They're not working. My kids, I'm like, do you want to come work for me at my office? And they're the first question, well, how much would, how much would we, you pay us? Now, I honestly, I worked for my dad growing up and I didn't ask mm-hmm. how much he'd pay me until like, like I just had to decide, do I want to work or not? But my kids are like, so I told them, Ten bucks an hour, mm. and then they're like, uh, "I mean, my friends make twelve. Yeah, you're like, this isn't a negotiation. I know. Well, yeah, no. So, what are you oh, doing? well, then, I mean, you know what minimum wage is, right? And I'm like, well, it's not ten. I don't think in my town, and um, but I can't even talk them into ten dollars an hour. Wow. And it's not like they would then use that $10 an hour to help the family buy food. Right, no. They would use it to To, to point out 10 bucks an hour and you live here rent-free? Yeah. If we want to get food-free. If we want to like, teach you this lesson, Vacation I could just free? start charging you for everything. Yeah. It's a different age, isn't it? Yeah. We just maybe that's maybe we need to go back to child labor. It could be. I mean, when an eight-year-old had a full-time job, they understood <laughs> it's time to grow up. Yeah. Now it's 24, and you're uh, like, I'm going to play video games. We keep games. pushing adolescents back. At first it stopped at 7, then it stopped at well, 18. And what do you do, what do you do when this doesn't work? Now it'll be like 35? Yeah. I mean, we. I guess we are living longer. I know some. So adolescents, I guess, there can last go. longer. Yeah. But, but it's just get ma- married and yeah. get out in life and start paying bills, and you'll – I mean – I don't know if our our brains have been developing at the same stage and same Mm -hmm. way for years, right? Forever. But you can stunt them by forcing a kid to go back and sleep in his little race car bed that (laughs) he had all growing up. Do you know what that does to an adult male to have to like get in your race car bed every night? (laughs) And you can't even bring a girl home because your mom and dad will ruin it. Right. Yeah. I think I see a problem. Yeah. There you go. 
Hmm. Maybe what we need is then we need these adolescent living facilities, hmm. which is where we just send all of our, you know, 18 on. They all go to adolescent camp. Just have some dorms somewhere. And we just they just have to learn to deal with each other and they work and. As the mid-20-something in the studio, I just went to a different state than my parents. See, that's it. That's actually – that probably helped you grow up very Mm -hmm. quickly. That's great. I can't just go home and do laundry. That would be a three-day drive. Maybe that's what we ought to do is just start exporting exporting our adolescents to different states. Yes. Like a a co-op where I get rid of one but I pick one up and then I help parent them. But then, then would you do their laundry also? No way. And would you offer out your race car beds? Yeah. Okay, good. They still have to sleep in the race car bed. Sorry, that's all we've got left. Race car beds. Oh, fun, folks. So much fun. Hey, straight ahead, we will be talking um, with Nicole Cunningham, who's a master executive coach, about blending families, some interesting ideas and techniques to uh, take two families, uh, you know, the Brady Bunch situation, and make one. Straight ahead on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, joining us now is one of our contributors, Nicole Cunningham. She um, is a master executive coach with 15 years of coaching and consulting experience. Nicole has dedicated her career to assisting companies and individuals and families from Australia, Malaysia, Singapore, you name it, now here in the United States. And uh, she is also the COO at Clarity Point Coaching. Nicole, thank you so much for being with us today. Good morning, Matt, and Happy New Year. You too. Happy New Year to you. How's I uh, believe it. How are, how's January. life? How 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 has the start of the new year gone for you? Yeah, awesome. Really great. Thank you. I'm so happy we finally had some snow. You know me. I, know. I love the cold weather. We've had a little bit. Yeah, we finally got a lot, actually. I uh, Now you shovel, and now my kids are complaining because they have to work it. <laughs> I loved your, uh, your segment earlier. I was listening in about putting these kids to work. Such an important thing, isn't it? Totally. Um, and talk to us because you, you work with kids, you work with adults, do everything you can to kind of motivate and help and help uh, people become the best they can be. But there is a dynamic um, that takes place with our families and the Brady, the kind of the Brady Bunch scenario where you try to blend families. Talk to us about what what makes the blending of families um how how does it work and and is is what part of blending a family is just about managing our expectation about a blended family yeah such a big word that expectation you know that 70% of second marriages fail Hmm. And of course, most of this, I think, is because it's more complicated second time round. It's not just about you and that partner saying, well, this is what we think and, and this is what we'd like to do with our lives and, and cohabitating. It's about teenagers. It's about toddlers. It's about people who are in the middle. It's about kids of different ages. And there's expectations both in your home and also in the home that they've come from. So you're not just blending family, you're blending environments. And I think that that's a really key thing. Now, the studies show that 80% of couples who enter a second marriage do nothing up front to prepare themselves. So that means that we still live in that Disney delusion that love is enough. Yeah. Now, our work would, would prove otherwise. It's a combination of understanding what it is that you expect from each other. And a lot of it is communication before the marriage even happens. So, 
So we really encourage couples to sit down and actually get on the same page ahead of time. Now this, we think, oh yes, we love each other and we understand our values and you know that's enough. We're talking serious, right? What are you going to be united about? What are you going to be conflicted about? Have you got the same decision making? Are you the same on the same page with rules and consequences and job sharing and what's your strategy for conflict resolution? And is that the same conflict with? resolution that what these kids have come from in the other house because if you are going to change all of these variables there has to be some pre-warning and some preparation time for everyone involved yeah, because if I mean each one of those are are like these crossroads, and you could very easily think you're on the same road, but be completely on a different road, driving you know very far away from each other on an issue. That's right, and I think a lot of the time we all just assume that it's going to be nice and that love is enough, and therefore everybody's going to get on get on board the same you know new family train and be as, as excited about it. And this is where those miss interpret or, or unrealistic expectations really get us into trouble. So it's about actually meeting every single family member where they are, which means that we have to have age and stage considerations. And we also have to look at the attitudes of how do these kids feel about being thrown into these other kids and this new woman or man in their life. And I think a lot of times we try to rush the process um, as, as people who are really committed to that family unit and all of our values as to why that is. A lot of the time, second time round, we really have even more expectation and pressure on ourselves and need for it to work. And I think that we kind of throw everybody into the mix with a lot of expectations about time and also that we rush the process of, of blending and we also don't actually manage everybody as an individual in the home so every person's individual needs has to be considered as we create this merge mm, it's so true and you've got because you have the other partner but you also have uh, the partner's kids and then you have the ex-spouses that are involved you have uh, they, they already have certain legal agreements on how often they get to see the kids and the the interventions that go on there and the handing and the passing back of kids um, what advice do you give as far as um, as far as working like parenting the other ch- your your stepchildren at what point should I just stay out of it as a parent and allow the their my spouse to parent their kids i parent my kids where do you think that should go okay great question so a few little pointers here the first one is is that as much as you can parent your own children right if if you can and you happen to be in the environment and and something happens be the one that actually does the consequences and the discipline the second rule is if you can't make that happen because you weren't there, and this is a, really a parenting tip for all parents, is that if you weren't in the room, you can't come in and actually dictate the outcome. Because if you weren't there and you didn't see what happened, this is when the he said, she said, and one of the biggest words we hear in blending families and step families is unfair. It's unfair. She did this and she did this and you don't hear me properly and you know I don't have a place here and all this stuff. That word unfair comes because we like to think that we've got it under control, but if you went in the room, you really don't have a say. Yeah, no, it's true. And you don't have the data. That's right. Yet, and this is where the bias can get so completely out of, out of control, right? Which is, 
I, I thought I saw this, but then ultimately I could be seen as favouring the kids. You only need a spiteful teenager to get into the mum or dad's ear. And before you know it, you've got World War Three. Right. So this is where that rule of thumb that if you can be the one who follows through with any kind of parenting or, or decision making with your children, then that's the best one. If you can't and you weren't there, you have to stand with your spouse as a unified front and and trust the fact that you guys have had the dialogue, you've had the time, you have the same aligned values, so he or she would have acted on behalf of the family. Mm. The third tip I have is that you have to insist on treating all of the children the same. Now, this, this mistreatment, this word unfair, or the kids feeling cheated or shortchanged or left out, it's super common in these step families. So when you make things fair and same, but also age specific and relevant, that's when you're going to have a better outcome. Boy, it's so, it's such a difficult thing because, and it's, I mean, then the kids still have their expectation and, and then there's always this guilt factor involved too, where, oh, I feel guilty that I have to split my time between my new spouse and my kids and my kids still are going to leave on certain days. The, how, how do we get over the guilt? How do we get over the, 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 the pain that might actually be leading us to not necessarily make the best decisions anyway? Above all, committed couples are a cohesive team all the time. And if you're going to long, you know, last the test of time and, you, and you've got the long game in mind instead of the short game, there's no room for guilt. It's just about constantly, because we're all going to fail. The first 12 months, there's going to be some really good blunders and there's going to be some terrible weekends and horrible nights. And if we go in there with that realistic expectation that we stay committed as a cohesive team, because successful step family couples, they actually have the same rules and the same realistic consequences. And they have the discussion if and as this arrives. So we have to be given some leeway, but we have to give that to our partner, partner, new husband, new wife. We've also got to give that to the kids. But it's a balance between, okay, you know what, we're all learning and we're going to try again versus the hard line, which is I'm not going to be manipulated by you. And the guilt only comes in when we feel like we're being manipulated because then it's an us versus them scenario. Yeah. It sounds like in the end, too, so much of this takes time because we have to get – Everybody on the same page, get some habits down, some patterns down, get on the same page with decision-making and conflict resolution. Uh, And then it almost sounds like, too, you just have to build some trust and show all the kids that that they can trust it. And consistency is everything. Yeah. So if you spend the time in those months and, and hopefully years of dating, because this is serious, if you're going to move forward with this person, you're not just about your life and your happiness. You have to consider your children and you have to be really placing your bets correctly. Do I love this person enough? Do I see the long journey here that it's going to be fruitful for everybody? In which case, I am willing to give it the time that it needs to work all these things out. Spend the time in the dialogue. Go to marriage class. Every month we have a class um, in our South Jordan office about marriage mastery. And it's and I know you do events yourself too. Yeah. Read the books. Go and see the experts. Do what you have to do to get on the same page because we believe that there is always a happier ever after if you do preparation. If you haven't done the preparation, you can't um, just walk into it and think that love's going to be enough, unfortunately. No. No. And um, and also, I mean, I've had experts talk to me and tell me that I would plan on 10 years before the family fully blends. Yeah. And by just simply getting the idea in your head that this is something we're working for in 10 years, 
then um, it kind of gets a rid of your immediate need to see perfection or see something happen that's real powerful very quickly. Because if you have that need, that's your own need. So we have to look at your own self-esteem. If you have a need for this perfect, perfect family with the picket fence, what is that part of you that needs some work? Because that's not about the kids at that point. That's actually about you and your expectations and, and, and the work that you need to do so that you can then be a balanced step-parent. If you have those unrealistic expectations and want to live in this Disney delusion, you're setting everyone up to fail. That's so true. Well, we, uh, we love the insight, Nicole. Thank you so much for your time and uh, your great work there at Clarity Point Coaching. Keep up the great work. Great. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Brad. Have a great day. You bet. Take care and have a great day as well. Uh, really, it's so, so interesting. Um, let's, let's, uh, let's take a second and just learn um, a, a little bit uh, about how when I'm working with couples, when I'm coaching them, when I'm talking to them, this, this issue of blended family, it, it really is – it seems like in a way it's more of the same. It's more of the same thing that every other issue that can come up. We think the, the, the family is so much different, but it, it – the blending of families may not be any more different or even difficult than other issues that we may be running into, like, um, you know, setting other routines, other rituals in in any, you know, normal intact family. So let's uh, let's remember that when it comes right down to it, it, this is about skills. This is about choice. This is about abilities. And um, what we what we can do is take a break, come back, do a quick little coach's corner, and then we'll get a chance to visit with our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're doing what we can right now to give you the tools to make the most of your life, to be the most in your life right here on BYU Radio. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back, friends. You know, um, so relationships, they're hard, right? And whether it's a first relationship, first marriage, second marriage, uh, what have you, it's hard. Things aren't necessarily easy. And yet you also can get in a stage where they seem pretty easy. You seem like you're in a routine. But you're not necessarily elevating your relationship. You're not taking it to a higher level. So I have a few ideas for you. If you want to, if you really want to take a good marriage and see if you can't start making it better, and even, by the way, a good parenting relationship and taking it to an even higher level, here are some basic rules that you might want to take into account. Number one, obviously start seeing the good in your spouse. Um, Remember, how we see them determines what we do, what we look for, and how we respond to them. Can you see the good stuff happening with your spouse every day as it's happening? Or do you tend to notice that you tend to only pick up on the negative stuff? Whatever you're looking for is going to impact what you see. So maybe make an intentional act quickly to uh, start seeing the good in your spouse. Just try to identify three things a day that your spouse did that was really positive. Another idea that I suggest a lot is to share your secrets, more of your secrets. Each one of us has secrets, and they may not be like major, you know, like CIA level secrets, but they might be something as simple as your weak, your weaknesses, your insecurities. Does your spouse know what really makes you feel insecure? 
Do you dare open up and share those more personal secrets where you feel vulnerable, where you might be embarrassed? Because the research shows when we start to share our secrets, they don't seem to have as much hold on us, as much pull. So start sharing some of those things that actually really do make you fearful, that do embarrass you, that do terrify you, whatever it is. Because all of a sudden, too, um, if, I, if I share those secrets, those, those vulnerable moments with my spouse and they can honor them and hold those up, man, that could create some seriously powerful opportunities in a marriage. Uh, suspend your need to control everything. Many people try to uh, lead a relationship where they always remain completely in control. And instead, there is power in your ability to actually wing it and to not have to control every aspect of your relationship, but let people be who they are. Let people be what they do. Let them be the way they want to be. Another rule might simply be um, to serve when it's hard. Many of us can serve our spouse when it's easy. We can serve our spouse when we like to serve them the way we serve them. But uh, maybe make it an effort uh, soon to start serving when it's harder to serve them. Do the hard things, the things that you really don't like to do, and see if over the next few months, weeks, years, if you couldn't uh, turn some of these hard things into easier things. Do the dishes, uh, make the bed. Do the things that you wouldn't normally do, but do it for them and see if by doing the hard thing, A, if it doesn't just become easier for you, but also if, if it even matters, if, you could, if your spouse starts to notice that you're putting so much more effort into the relationship. Another rule that uh, I push hard is to stand up for yourself. Many times we, we don't. Instead, we, we get walked over, we get pushed over, we don't take a stand, and instead we wait till the very end of the marriage before we're finally going to take a stand. I just suggest we spend more time taking a stand now. Don't take a stand on what you don't need to take a stand on, but there are some things that you need to probably push back. And if you can push back now, it might make it easier for you to to not have to have the major pushback in the end where we have to divorce because that's the final stand. Instead, let's see if we can't understand each other and communicate a little bit better. One other simple rule is um, show thanks daily. What if we could just start saying thank you a lot more? Seeing the good, and when we see it, thank our partner for for bringing that good into our life and uh, use thank yous a lot more. Basic basic stuff, right? Being grateful for what you do have. Just a few tips to help you elevate your game and your relationship, and uh, we will continue the journey straight ahead. BYU Sports Nation will be joining us. We'll see what they're going to do today to elevate uh, their show that uh, starts in just 15 short minutes. Welcome back, friends. It's time, folks. It is time to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show today. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Matt. Hi. How you guys doing? You know, yeah. you don't always have to be so aggressive and shoot it down to us. You no. can pass it down to We've us. We've slid it down. It off to us. We've dropped I mean, it down. Yeah. And no, now we're shooting it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like that. How are you? With a Nerf gun? What was that? No, that was a, that was a bow and arrow. Did you not hear that? That was a like like a, it sounded like a Nerf gun. Yeah, no. Gosh, I'll be honest. Honest, thank you very much. Um, did you guys watch football yesterday? 
Maybe. Any football? No, I kept the Sabbath. and. Uh... Good boy. Good boy. <laughs> he says it's not. I was testing you. <laughs> I was, I was testing watching you. Kyle Van Noy for work. Yes. By the way, Kyle Van Noy, uh, <laughs> linebacker for the Patriots, had a great game. Let's just say Kyle Van Noy went from living in Detroit to going to back-to-back Super Bowls. Not bad. That's quite the improvement. And Steve Young called it in Studio B when he joined us. Right after Kyle Van Noy got picked up by the Patriots, we asked Steve what he thought about it, and he said, he's going to win a Super Bowl. And now he might win two back-to-back years. Ah, that's amazing. So Patriots uh, beat the Jaguars, right? Mm -hmm. And the Eagles beat the Vikings. Yeah, they destroyed the Vikings. What do you think of that? I mean, they were only supposed to, what, the Vikings were, no, yeah, the Vikings were supposed to win by three, and the Eagles win by 30-something. There were two stats that stuck out to me. One is that a domed team in uh, championship games, AFC, NFC championship games, mm-hmm. playing outdoors is 0-12 all time. Oh, boy. Okay, so that's an interesting one. Is that including yesterday? No, it's 0-13. Now it's 0-13. Wow. And, then, uh, and then the other one was, a team that wins in walk-off fashion. Yeah. The next game in the playoffs normally gets blown out. Uh, 0-5. Really? In the playoffs. So those, those. I mean, you can say whatever stats to argue yeah, your I mean, point. Just bring your but, own stats. But those right. two are interesting, right? Yeah. And, and Nick Foles uh, was not expected to have the game that he had. So now the question becomes... Can the Eagles actually do it? Can they actually beat the Patriots? Because the only, the only people there are some Eagles apparently. Yeah, that was the, only the Eagles, Eagles fans. That, the only team that can beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl apparently is the Giants. In fact, you can you could be a bird mascot <laughs> team and be up twenty five and you still could lose. Yeah, you still can lose in the last minute because of this guy that's a quarterback for the Patriots, Tom Brady. Was his hand injured or not? Was that just oh, all was, fake? It was deaf injured. Was it? Yes, absolutely. I, I saw the x-ray, and when they show the x-ray, it's got like five Super Bowl rings on his skeletal hand. <laughs> he put them in his hand? <laughs> yeah, he was actually He's carrying them one around. on each finger. It was an amazing That's x-ray. That's an airport nightmare. Insane. Yeah, totally. So who's, so who's going to win the big dance? Do you guys dare say yet? Probably Kentucky men's hoops. Uh, they always do. They come well, out of nowhere. Well, Big Blue Nation's having a rough go at it this year. So, <laughs> I guess I meant the big Super Bowl. Oh, the big game. Yeah, the big game. If you don't have rights to say, yeah, you can't say the Super Bowl. The big game. Yeah, the big, the big uh, (laughs) NFL game. The last game of the NFL. I, I I tell you, I want, I want the Eagles to win because I think you and ninety-eight percent of the world want the Eagles Mm -hmm. to win. They had to grease the poles. Uh, all the light posts. The Crisco cops. They had to because uh, but <laughs> those eagles can still fly and land on a light post. Yet people are still, a la <laughs> Mulan, climbing up the poles. <laughs> Unlike BYU hoops. I love, I love a la Mulan. That's you know what I'm talking great, about, uh, totally, too. It's one of the great scenes in Mulan. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah good to make a man out of get that arrow, yeah, right? They will make the a man. Crisco cops around full force and filling, man. <laughs> How how silly is that? They're they're greasing yeah. power poles with Crisco. <laughs> like how crazy are the yeah. people? No, you got to do it. You got to do it. And they still have you know you know they still have that strength in their thighs to keep stuck on the pole. Yep. And that's some that's some strong of thighs. all the yeah uh, uh, yeah I, I'm not climbing a power pole. No. Oh my gosh, random nails. Right. No. Right. Let alone bird poop. Yeah. Come on, man. Let alone Crisco now. 
In Philadelphia. Cold In Crisco. Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Born and raised. On the <laughs> playground's where I spent most of my days. <laughs> Sorry. We have experienced so much greatness during this last five minutes. That was incredible. Now I'm just thinking about Donny Osmond singing, Let's, let's get down to business. Crisco. <laughs> A new ad for Crisco. <laughs> Time is racing toward us. <laughs> get it. You, you guys are good. See, you need to bring some of this material onto your show. Oh, we do every day, man. Do you? What, uh, what's, on, what's coming up on, on your show today? So we're discussing the fact that BYU basketball is 17 and 4. <laughs> their their best record wow. since his Jimmerness played his senior season. Hmm. Yet I think many of us are kind of undervaluing what BYU is doing because they're still the third best team in the West Coast Conference uh, as constituted. Come on. As currently constituted, those in favor. I The last 4 games, however, since BYU lost to the Pacific Tigers, the Cougars have won those four, and uh, convincingly, nice win Saturday night against San Diego. Late, uh, late push there to get a, a larger margin of victory. So, have the last four games affected your expectations for BYU mm. this season? We'll yes. discuss that. The breakout of TJ Haas as well. We called him out four games ago. We said he's got to be the third leading scorer, and boom goes the dynamite. The last four, he's been <laughs> awesome. Is uh, is that what you're calling him now? The dynamite? That would be a well, great. Well, he's the ginger form. mamba, ginger ninja. Ginger Mamba. The Ginger Ninja. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is, but a Ginger Ninja doesn't scare me quite as much <laughs> as the Dynamite. He loses the pregame, but he's been winning the games. But That's a Ginger good. Mamba strikes oh, fear into your heart, gin- doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, Ginger Mamba. Mm-hmm. Versus, versus a Ginger Mama, which is totally Now different. that is something else. Yeah, not as scary. Um, okay, cool. That's a good show. Anything else? Uh, yeah, we have the first ever draft pick of the Utah Royals FC National Women's Soccer League expansion team, Taylor Isom. She's going from BYU to Salt Lake City. How does she feel about it as wow. the 14th overall pick in the professional draft? That's big league. And BYU football hires its new safeties coach. What does this mean for Ed Lamb? What does this mean for Steve Kafusi? We will discuss. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's a great show, folks, and it's, uh, it's only five minutes away. Five minutes. So we will let these gentlemen go, get their body makeup done, uh, which they're known to do. Also, they're going to go do their push-ups to get – they're there. <laughs> They've already started. Okay. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. Knock them dead. Really, truly uh, a great show. Four and a half minutes from right now, you will get to learn all about the Jinja Ninja. And um, all of and they, they do break into song on the show. Plus, you can watch it on TV, BYU television, if you want, if you're so inclined, if, if you like to not only listen to the radio in the car, but you also want to stream it live. And while you're driving, you can do that as well. Of course, it's dangerous. No, we, we do not advocate television while driving, Matthew. No, but the kids in the backseat can there watch you it. Go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Just let the kids do it. Do not, do not. Take my advice on that. Uh, now, as you know, too, we also like to always uh, share a hero story with you as we are on our way out. Today's hero is a, a fire department 
a paramedic from the New York Fire Department. He plunged into freezing waters to rescue a man in the Hudson River on December 30th. Niall O'Shaughnessy, 40, a veteran paramedic with the department, was working with his partner when he noticed some NYPD units going into the river and realized they might need help. I grabbed my personal flotation device, ran over to where the NYPD was, O'Shaughnessy recalled, and uh, the New York PD had already lowered a life preserver to the man in the water, but the helpless victim was unable to hold on to it. The paramedic said, I used my body to pull him around the life ring. O'Shaughnessy said, adding he spent about five to ten minutes in the icy water. The first two seconds in, I felt the cold set in. He said, after about 30 seconds to a minute, I could definitely feel that my arms and legs weren't working. The man has started to lose consciousness, O'Shaughnessy said. He was definitely lethargic. And uh, anyway, he got in there. He was hypothermic. They got him out of the water, and they uh, then um, took care of him. And uh, it was unclear, by the way, how long the 50-year-old victim had been in the water. O'Shaughnessy was briefly evaluated but found to be in good shape. Despite saving a man's life, he said he wouldn't consider himself a hero. I was just a civilian today. I wouldn't say that I was a rescuer. He just needed a little help. So that's cool. Hero of the day. Niall O'Shaughnessy. What a great name. And Hero of the Day on the Matt Townsend Show. That is the program, my friends. If you want, you can go check out our past episodes on iTunes or tune in. Go to BYURadio.org to download those. And we'll be back again tomorrow with more ideas to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. BYU Sports Nation is straight ahead.